Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. All right, welcome to Talking Comics, episode 244. I'm your host, Mara Wood, and I'm here with Bob Ryer. Hola! Steve Say. How do? And Joy Pertino. Hello! We are back, and it's post-San Diego Comic-Con, and none of us went. <laughs> <laughs> and I the show's done. Good night! <laughs> but, you know, that, that doesn't mean we can't be excited about all the announcements. And, and things mm-hmm. like that. I, I had a friend who who went this year for, um, he's been going the past four years, so he usually texts me things from the panels he went to, and he went to the Killing Joke panel. Mm. Yeah, and mm-hmm. he had some thoughts about that, and none of them were very pleasant. And uh, he also picked up a limited edition Ralph McQuarrie design Hallmark Boba Fett ornament. <gasps> so Awesome. I don't like Christmas decorations. I don't like doing Christmas trees. I don't like spending money on Christmas things. But Star Wars. What? Is- Bah-humbug. <laughs> wow. She couldn't even wait till the Christmas show for this. She's like middle of July. Just throwing it out there. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's done. I'm, I'm definitely not the funnest person around Christmas because I just look around and be like, we spent money on this. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Waste of y'all's time. That old holiday cheer. (laughs) You could go into any Hallmark store and see 14 Star Wars ornaments a season now. Mm -hmm. Come on, you don't don't get the urge when you're wandering through the aisles and... Well, I mean... Ah, here we go. I actually have... I keep this out all year because it's Star Wars. But somebody bought me a Star Wars Darth Vader snow globe once. See? (laughs) See? Um... But it, it just, it's not Christmas decoration. It's a year-round decoration. So. Yeah. Nice. For but, those of you listening at home, we totally have video now because of Patreon. If yeah. you want to check this stuff out. <laughs> Thank yeah, you, yeah. Patreon. I'm, yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm still getting used to the whole being on video thing. It's, uh, it's fun. It is fun. Yes. It's going to help. Yes. It is definitely going to help. Yes. Yeah. I have to come up with some hand signals like in baseball. Yeah. There are exclusive reactions to things that only the Patreon people will see. Yeah, and also maybe a little show and tell sometimes. Oh man, people are gonna start just like screen grabbing things. <laughs> oh, say them to Twitter. <laughs> I hope it not. Help, yeah, it helped. It'll help, but I don't know that like mid open mouth pause. Yes, the quizzical looks. Yeah, yeah. There you go, Joey. <laughs> How dare he say that? <laughs> Uh, so this episode, we're going to dive into a couple of announcements that came from San Diego Comic-Con. We're also going to be talking about the Killing Joke movie that came out. Um, it is out digitally now. It was out in theaters Monday. 
Um, so spoilers beware, but pretty much anything <laughs> that could be spoiled is in the graphic novel or has already been gift mm-hmm. on Twitter. I have notes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so so there's a lot to talk about there and as well as like tons of trailers and Wonder yeah. Woman and comics galore um listener gonna, question we're gonna hit on busy week busy busy week but um at the is it the end of the month or is it beginning of next month we have a new podcast kicking off aha uh-huh. Um, well, we are recording this Friday evening and, uh, yeah, uh, we announced it last show at the end, but I figured I'd, uh, give it to the top audience right now. We're bringing back the Talking Comics Book Club. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh... Our book is Black Magic Volume 1, Awakening, by Greg Rucka and Nicola Scott and a bunch of other super talented people. Uh, if you want to write in with your thoughts about the book uh, to be read on the Book Club podcast, it is hashtag TC Book Club for Twitter. Or if you want long form, it is book club at talkingcomicbooks.com. Uh, it will be a weekly show. We will announce the next book at the Monthly? end of each podcast. What? Weekly show? Did I say weekly? You said weekly. It's totally not weekly. I quit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not Mara. I can't do 14 shows a week. I'm an old man. I can't do 14 shows either. <laughs> I can't. I apologize. It is a monthly uh, podcast. Yeah. It is a monthly podcast. Uh, it's going to be me. See, this is how it's going to go yeah. when we do this thing. It's going to be a riot. Uh, it'll be me, Bob. Uh, and contributors and friends and loved ones, Melissa Megan and Bronwyn Kelly. So, yeah, uh, hashtag TC Book Club for Twitter and book club at talkingcomicbooks.com for the email to get your thoughts in on Black Magic Volume 1. Um, thanks for the time, Mara. No. I'm excited. I can't got, wait to got, hear it. Got, people have to buy the book. I just saw because of the announcement that the book has been optioned for television. Yes. Yeah. Back issue prices are soaring. Oh, I'm sure. Really? I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, we got um we got a bunch of cool questions lined up. We have like it's going to kind of be a thing. It's going to we're going to talk, you know, general thoughts about the book, in depth about the book, and then uh each week we're going to come up with a series of questions that are either directly book related or subject matter related. So mm-hmm. in the case of something like Black Magic, we'll talk about the book specifically, character motivations, yada yada, but then we'll also talk a bit about witchcraft and about fantasy castings for the show and so on and so forth. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. I'm going to have to remember before listening to the podcast to go and read the back matter of those uh, uh, individual yeah. issues. So Single good. issues, yeah. Yeah, cuz oh. I I maybe kind of skip them the first time and then the second time don't definitely skip them <laughs> so yeah. the first one didn't ever read the rest the yep. back better is actually collected in the trade yes it's really? i wow. yeah usually they don't really do that yeah um i was surprised i was bummed i i had to buy it for a third time and it was digitally i can't find my single issues and i was like oh man now i can't read like all like the the ghost stories and background mm-hmm. and, and wicked encounters and stuff like that and then i'm flipping through pages i'm like aha here it is mm-hmm. so i we should probably save this for the, for the podcast. No, no it, it's a teaser. It's a teaser what for the new show. Happens. Yeah, indeed. So, all right, let's let's go ahead and uh, move into our lightning round, so that we can get to the the really fun trailer stuff soon. Um, lots of comics to talk about. Um, I'm gonna start with Joey this week. Oh my gosh! I know. Are you ready? <laughs> Am I ever ready? Like a battery. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. <laughs> On fire tonight. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Ever ready batteries. 
Oh, yeah. Bobby wouldn't have put up with this. Left <laughs> I think it's hilarious. It's spectacular. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Tell me your comics. Go. All right, here we go. Uh, uh, first, I want to talk about Betty and Veronica number one from Adam Hughes and Archie Comics. The eponymous ladies of Riverdale get their very own series uh, in this new Archie universe that they've been setting up over the last year or so. Uh, a lot of hype on this new series uh, with like 75 different variant covers, some of which were actually pretty amazing. All gorgeous, yeah. Yeah, um, especially given Adam Hughes on both art and story. He's, you know, you probably recognize his work from covers, but here he is writing as well as doing a sequential work. The art is, as you'd expect, from cover slash cheesecake extraordinaire Hughes. Um, It's pretty a lot of the time. It's bold at some times. Um, it's also borderline uncomfortable at some moments, given the fact that these are supposed to be teenagers after all, but that's a conversation for another time. Um, still, it is great to see him on a sequential series and the colors from Jose Villarrubia are dazzling. Um, the biggest weakness, um, and the thing that breaks the book for me, honestly, is the script, which is filled with poor attempts at teen speak and redundancies that do an inadequate job of painting these iconic characters. Um, The premise I found already to be problematic, right? We have two teen girls fighting. Oh, my God. Like, what? Um, And I think it needed a certain depth of character that Hughes just didn't didn't put into it. Um, It tries to be a little too clever at times with the the dog narrator and things like that. Um, So I gave it a shot, but I don't know. Uh, Tales from the Dark Side, number two, script from Joe Hill, adapted by Michael Benedetto, art by Gabriel Rodriguez and Ryan Hill. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and I told you guys I'd keep up with it, so I am. Unlike number one, which was more of a one-shot, number two takes a cameo character from number one and fleshes out his story um, and ends on a cliffhanger, meaning this story will continue going forward. This has been a really cool book. It's kind of a sci-fi horror anthology. Um, it's really interesting to see that this is a continuing story. It's only four issues, so it'll be interesting to see where it goes in the next couple. But I have, I'm having a lot of fun with that one. Um, the other book is A Day's Work, which was created and drawn by Tim Walsh and written by Chris Robinson, two dudes from the Jersey Shore. Finch and Barry work at The Plus, a ratchet restaurant, using the term loosely, down the shore at Pleasant Point, New Jersey. Um, a Day's Work is pretty much clerks at the beach, but still in Jersey, as Finch <laughs> takes us through a day of mishaps and mayhem at The Plus. It's funny. It's real and it's absurd at points um i had a great time with this book i picked it up on a whim as i often do with the comiXology stuff it was listed at 120 pages and i was like that's crazy but actually what it is is 120 kind of like strips um told sequentially like Mm. almost like guided view comics like Mm -hmm. digital but it's intentionally made that way so it was really interesting to read the book that way um it was a volume one i think they want to continue the story and uh, it was pretty cool. Um, that's it. Nailed it. Nice. I didn't get to Green Arrow, but whatever. That was cool, too. Yeah, Green Arrow's good. Different different artists this time, but still good. Um, yeah, I have not been hearing very much good, positive feedback from Betty and Veronica. It's a bummer. Yeah. <sighs> didn't they at one point do this whole Betty and Veronica leave Riverdale to go traveling? best friends kind of traveling i'm sure Don't they have Louise. i think it was recently but i cannot remember who was writing it but I well know. i kind funny. of had a feeling that the book was gonna not be what i was expecting when you open with a splash page of betty and veronica kind of like 
pulling each other's hair. And then the next page isn't any explanation of that. It's just a hard cut to like Archie and Jughead talking about stuff. And I'm like, this doesn't seem Ooh. like the kind of story that I was expecting here. Yeah. Um, and it kind of, it doesn't really get anywhere else from there, uh, which is a bummer. You know, you want a book like Betty and Veronica to, to be something um, as significant as the iconic nature of those characters would entail. Yeah. It's funny. The other Archie things have seemed to pick creative teams pretty well. Mm-hmm. Mark Wade on the ori- on the Archie. Zadarsky yeah. on Jughead. Yeah. Let alone the horror ones, which are all stellar. Yeah, I pretty much jumped off of the Archie stuff when uh, the horror book started to really just, like, it didn't exist for a really long time. And then it came back, and then it was another four to five months mm-hmm. between yeah. issues. And I just, that, between that and Sabrina. Um, Six you know, issues in two years. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, things happen and projects come up and projects get put aside and stuff like that. But as far as, you know, keeping the momentum or keeping me interested in enough. To be like, yeah, I'll totally dig the other one out and refresh myself. Meanwhile, I've got this other pile of things to do or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, even with like the the Reba was uh, Mark Wade and uh, yeah, Staples, like positively gorgeous. Like it was, mm-hmm. you know, a very like the presentation of that book. Like that was, if I was going to get into something Archie, it was going to be that, or maybe even the Jughead stuff from Chip Zdarsky, which I haven't read, mm-hmm. but. After, like, I think it was two or three issues, I just completely tuned out of it. Yeah, I think I'm going to be trade waiting for the most part on those yep. things. So. Did anybody read the Jughead, Chip Zdarsky stuff? I didn't. First one was very funny. They I read did the, the whole Game one, of yeah. Thrones sort of thing. It was, it was Erica Henderson, right? Yeah. From Squirrel Girl. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. I, I really I should have picked that up when it was on sale, but I, uh, I didn't. And now here we are. <laughs> here, we are. <laughs> here we are. Hey, Steve. Yeah. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna botch some names right now. Let's All do right. it. I help you out. I'll help Cannot you out. wait. Go ahead. Okay, so I spent way, way too much money on Comicsology this week with uh, <laughs> their SDCC. Dude, you don't even know. If I showed you my Comicsology receipts, you would throw up. Uh, <laughs> I took advantage a lot because this is all stuff that I've wanted to read. And if you don't get it for a dollar, you're going to end up paying the two ninety nine, three ninety nine that you would normally when it comes time to want to pick up the next trade and, and go back. Anyway, uh, one of the cool things that I picked up in these sales that are going on is from Europe Comics, and it's called Water Memory Part 1. And it's by Valeria Vernet and Matthew Reynes or um, Reynes. Something French. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> so picture. There you go. So imagine uh, Miyazaki uh, meets. If you've ever seen the movie uh, Song of the Sea, mm-hmm. from uh, the people that did. Um, oh no, it wasn't Ernest and Celeste. Anyway, fantastic animated movie. Um, what is that movie that I asked you to? The Secret, Secret of, Kells, of Kells, which I love. Okay, The Secret of Kells, Song of the Sea. Check both of those movies out. They're incredible. Uh, It's about a little girl who her mother and father have split, and the mother has decided that she's going to take her, and she's going to bring her away from all the stuff and kind of recoup and build a new life. And she comes into this house uh, that's on a beach and kind of on this island uh, area where there are lighthouses and waters all around and everything like that. So they move in. 
mother's very busy trying to make ends meet, has to take a job, and the daughter's kind of just about old enough to watch over herself. And in her downtime, she decides that she's going to explore her house, the island, so on and so forth. The more she explores, the more she keeps coming across these kind of uh, like hieroglyphs and statues of all of these um, like almost Incan-looking designs that are all staring. And she comes to realize, after she finds so many of them, that they're all staring in the same direction. And it, uh, they're all staring in the direction of the lighthouse that's outside. So there's, she believes that there's a secret there. There's some kind of society or whatever. Uh, fast forward a little bit, you come to find out that the island and all around it is kind of governed by like water gods. And, and ancient uh, deities that are around. And it just ends up being this like all ages, really magical kid curiosity tale with something that I don't want to spoil. There's another aspect to it that's really cool. But uh, the part one leaves off in a very like cliffhangery, like where is part two? Take my money. I need to see <laughs> the rest of this. So there's only one more part to it. I hope that the second part is just as entertaining as the first. Uh, how much time do I have, Mar? Eight seconds. Oh, wow. I spent it all on that. Five seconds. Well I'm just going to talk until my time's up. <laughs> time's up. Time's up. Yeah. <laughs> I talked too much. Nice. Well, you know, a lot of passion for a book that a lot of people haven't heard, so it's warranted. There's always books for open discussion. Maybe you can yeah. throw yeah, some maybe, into Yeah, there. maybe uh, maybe real quick, Joey and I could talk about the discipline in a little bit. Ooh, that that naughty little book. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, I have I have a couple. I have a good synopsis that I wrote for it, and I have a couple of thoughts on. So maybe we'll uh, we'll open that up to the floor, yeah. uh, and just pretend that I talked about more than one book. <laughs> All right, Bob. Okie dokie. You ready? Yep. Go ahead. Just to get it out of the way, which is sort of sad, as this book has always been a favorite. Ultimates number nine is a post Civil War three issue. And uh, Adam Brashear, the Blue Marvel, and Carol have a strong disagreement about how this predicting thing is being handled, with Carol cutting off discussion in a very curt sort of way. Uh, I'm just not thrilled with how that's being handled through all of this, so what can I say? Uh, speaking of Civil War, it hasn't yet touched A-Force, uh, and this is number seven by Kelly Thompson Ben Caldwell which brings the Countess story arc to a fabulous end as the villainess learns a lesson in a very unexpected way. Great team superheroics, tons of humor and heart, as always. So here's hoping that this month's tie-in doesn't damage all the things that have made this book so special. Hmm. Hench Girl number 9 by Kristen Gudsnock brings our favorite, once-reluctant assistant, bad lady Mary Poza. She takes a... Real walk on the evil side, think ultra-violent, as she tries a rescue of her superheroic parents, Flame Girl and El Romanchero, from the villain known as Gunpowder. She's then taken away by the Crepe City Police because things have gotten pretty ugly. Then there's a mystery. Uh, just two more issues to go in this arc, which has just been announced, will be reprinted in trade paperback by Dark Horse. I'm excited for that. I can't wait to read it. Uh, uh, clean Room number 10, Gail Simone, John Davis Hunt. Things are a bit chaotic in Astrid Mula's empire after her murder and resurrection by a demon. And nice. Reston Winuka, who's the CEO of a health projects company called uh, PerformSeek, he's looking to fill the void caused by that. Just really smart, ultra creepy, and how can there's any book that quotes Creepshow's line, it's the damnedest thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Squadron Supreme number nine, James Robinson, artist Anno, and colorist Leonard Romero on the on the backup story, gives us tremendous insight into Warrior Woman slash Power Princess's history, where this tangled threads of the, the end of the Secret Wars go, the two different planets, two different people, all coming into play, and it sets the stage for the coming arc with the clever title of Finding Namor. Oh! <laughs> Finally, oh. there's Guardi- Guardians of Infinity number eight, which is a double feature. We've got one story of the sort of current Guardians of Infinity, which are all from the various time periods, but a second story written by Jen and Sylvia Saska, entitled The Ripley, as they discover a brood ship with some survivors and some lots of weird stuff going on, and we have an argument between Kitty, Peter, and Rocket as to which of them is the Ripley and which of them is the Jonesy. Oh, man. So I think I, I'm just calling people the Ripley. It's like the new version of Final Girl, I'm saying. So I'm going with that. <laughs> nice. That was a real – I love that, that tie-in, uh, the, um, the Ripley story. I've only seen, like, the first Alien movie once. Um, but I still, even then I still understood a lot of the references and I thought it was really clever and mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Yeah. It was a real neat little book. I don't know what was going on in the first half, but even that was fun, care. but yeah, it was <laughs> getting to the Ripley story for me. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone read a force? Yeah, I did. And, uh, it's, it's, I mean, it, it's awesome. It's really awesome. It'll be interesting. I'm confused because I read. Civil War 2 over the last couple of days. That was actually supposed to be part of my lightning round. I didn't get to that. <laughs> fit it in, fit it in. <laughs> yeah, um, Are you no, wondering but, where She-Hulk fits in with a yeah, versus... <laughs> yeah. Totally. Where we're at in that story doesn't really seem to be lining up with anything besides that something that you have right there I assume we're going to talk about later. Um, Mara, go ahead. You, I was about to say, your... I'm assuming that a Force story just happens for far away from civil war right now before until next month uh there was um during during the marvel panel at sdcc the uh i think axel alonzo was like yeah some creators came to us and were like hey we don't really want to do the civil war two thing so we were just like whatever that's how the iron fist power man the power man Mm -hmm. iron fist stuff Uh they were just able to be like hey we don't really want to touch this can we just like kind of tangentially so um I Maybe like with the A4 stuff, the, uh, they were just like, hey, can we just tell our own story? It happens, you yeah. know, um, mm-hmm. as long as it's good, which Bob seems to be raving about it. So it yeah. is good. But, but uh, sadly, next month is. It's a heartbreak. Yeah, man. It's oh. the post. You got to go post. <laughs> Civil War 2 comes to A-Force. Oh. There you go. Oh, I mean, I like Civil War 2. I like to read it, but I like it to be contained. If that makes yeah. sense, like I, I want to sit down and be like, I'm reading a Civil War II story, or I'm reading a A4 story. I don't want. Sometimes it's okay for my Marvel worlds to be separate. Mm-hmm. Well, the consequences um, have to happen. I know, but let's protect our girls here, <laughs> our, our team. Let's protect. Was, uh... Let's protect the Marvel universe. We'll get to some of the announcements because they talked about some stuff. Well, real later. quick, real quick. Uh, one of the things I thought was interesting about A Force was that they mentioned Murder World, mm-hmm. which is one of the one of the other you know pieces Battle of World Battle things. World and yep. stuff like that. And I was either yelling or complaining or ranting about the, like where is all of that stuff? It's still in the one book that seems to be addressing that that was even a thing, and it's being like being kept in A Force. 
Did you, have, did you catch that? Yes, I did. And okay. it's in the Ultimates, too. They, oh, okay. are, they are mentioned that there was a before. Uh, but it seems like singularity here in A-Force is the person who remembers the stuff from before. <laughs> Though in Squadron Supreme, they're dealing with the end of Hickman stuff. Oh, really? All that, all the planets and all the, the, the insurgent, what was it? The incursions. incursion events. Man, aren't we past that? Let's, let's <laughs> no. move on. <laughs> no, Never. One thing into the next, into the next, and they're all connected. Divided We Stand, which will be followed by next springs, yeah. whatever, followed by next falls, united we part. I don't know. It's all part of the legacy. Remember Jonathan Hickman? Oh, wow. It <laughs> seems like forever ago. Whatever happened to that guy? It's just more toppings on the pizza. <laughs> yeah. All Two right. pizzas slammed together. Mara, I believe it is your oh, turn. Yeah, I'm going to talk about my books. So let's, let's see how this goes. I have a new system this week, and I don't know how, how it's going to work for me. So whatever. All right, so first up, I want to talk about Nova, number nine. Um, it is a Civil War II tie-in by Sean Ryan and R.B. Silva. So as we saw in like the main Civil War um, book, the younger Avengers are kind of like, uh, I don't know about these adults and what they're doing. <laughs> uh, so Nova's kind of struggling with that title of being an Avenger and being part of the superhero community when he's not really buying into what everyone else is, is um, trying to sell him. Um, also, the captain from Next Wave shows up in this issue. And nice. it was like the biggest like gift that Civil War II could give me <laughs> was, to <see> him. <laughs> was to see him. And I'm, I'm texting Melissa like, he's in it. Look, he's right here. Um, so that was kind of a, a, a big draw for me. And the fact that he gives like a, a heroic pep talk to Nova as, as he's like, where are my buddies? Why isn't anyone helping me? Molan is trying to take over my city. Why didn't anyone come and help? So that was actually a good tie-in. Um, my Love Story, Volume 9 from Diz, by Kazune, Kawahara, and Aruko. Um, we're nine volumes into this story about the unconventional love interest and his very conventional love interest. And they've been dating for a while and they're still doing the whole say my first name kind of thing. Um, so that reaching that level of intimacy. Uh, Yamato has a job at a pastry shop, which is perfect for her. But the guy she works with, pastry chef, is kind of like making his move into her life. Um, I know. It is terrible because Looking he's like... Looking to ice her cake. Yes. <laughs> he's the worst. I hate him. And he like, is really forward about it too by saying her, her first name and <gasps> saying it in front of her boyfriend. So it's like the biggest uh, like the knife worst. in the back. Um, but he's like going up to um, Takio and it's like, you need to break up with her because I'm better for her than you. What do you have to offer her? And poor Takio has so such low self-esteem that he's like, what do I have to offer to her? Um, I know it's it's so sad, but Takio, um, if you've been following the series, he's like this massive, huge guy, um, you know, just big overall, really rough looking. And is he on the cover? Yeah. So that is Ryu from Street Fighter. Yeah, he's he's cosplaying <laughs> as Ryu on this cover, um, but he has like that same kind of build. So. You know, none of the girls ever fall for him except for Yamato, who just loves and adores him, and he loves her a lot. So it's a it's a really good story um, if you've been following it. And uh, real quick, Lazarus number twenty three, the Cole part two, Sonya and Mueller are fighting, and we get four pages of silent battle that we saw earlier in the Lazarus arc before it. 
um, or two, two before it actually, um, Joanna is asserting herself as head of the family, kind of like, you know, dominating everyone and forever is struggling a lot with, um, gaining back her leg because her leg was cut off and, Ooh, you know, science and genetics, they just kind of grafted a new one on or something. And it's like all gross and spindly looking. <laughs> She's having a lot of trouble with it. Nice. I would think. Yeah. Lazarus, man. It's good stuff. So. I'm way behind. I do that in trades at the end of the year when it's nominated for something, which it will be again, <laughs> I'm sure. Oh, yeah. man. It's, it's fantastic, especially since we had that edition of the source book with it mm. and the potential uh-huh. for more family source books um, as material is, is gathered. So I'm super pumped. How many issues have we had of that this year? Has it only been the two? Uh, I don't remember. Okay. Yeah, there was a lapse. Yeah, there was definitely a lapse. I feel like I feel like the arc had just ended when we did the award show because everybody yeah. was super mm-hmm. pumped like after the finale, and then it went away. And I we haven't been talking about it until recently. Yeah. So they had they had the the gathering arc that had the Sonya forever battle in it, and then they had an arc after that where. Um, um, Carlisle was poisoned and they had to do an invasion. And now this is the one post that. Uh, so I, I can't remember if that fourth arc happened last year or earlier this year, mm. but it's, it's mm. still progressing. Rucka is still really into it. Lark is still in, into it. Lazarus fans are still into it. So there you go. I just keep, I just keep getting it. So. Awesome. All right. So let's, let's talk some uh, San Diego stuff. And I'm kind of trying to figure out what order we want to go in on this because um, there's just a lot, a lot to hit on. Um, let's let's actually start with Eisner's. You know, still still talking about the comic book stuff. Um, there were uh, a couple of of things on here that we, as a a podcast, have talked about in the past. Um, ha ha! You know, nice. Yeah. Yes. Silver Surfer. Yes, Joey. <laughs> I'm so look. It's not my fault that the, the internet <laughs> doesn't work for you. <laughs> look, it's like look. I love the issue. I did, but Marvel put it out that way. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Bob is validated in, in yes. his his nomination of Silver Surfer. So that um, that, that was issue. the issue, right? right? The Mobius strip issue. Yep. Yeah. So that was that was the best single issue or one shot of the year. Um, Paper Girls new series, best new series there. Um, March, which Joey, I think that's one that you've you've read. Um, I think John Lewis is talking tonight at the DNC. He makes me cry every time. <laughs> he's oh my god, this guy, man. He's just like an icon. He's so wonderful. There were some images of him, and he does this now when he goes to cons where he mm-hmm. wears the jacket and the backpack from when he marched across the bridge, you know, and, and, um, someone just posted Like, I think it was the artist or the co-writer posted a picture of him and the the, the caption was just like, who's ready to march. And I was like, I am, I'm ready. Let's go. You know, like, and he's just standing there in the hall with his jacket on. Oh, it's just so, such a good book. I think the third volume is coming out in a month or two. Yeah. Um, and I think it was in last... previews. I, I remember seeing it in previews. Yeah, um, well-deserved, well-deserved. Yeah. So best limited series, the fade out continuing series, Southern bastards, which I read the first arc of that and I fell off 
and I shouldn't have because mm-hmm. it's very close to like my kind of like neighborhood. <laughs> it doesn't say a whole lot about the neighborhood. <laughs> no, no, not like personal neighborhood, but like peripheral neighborhood. In and abouts. In and abouts. My my neck of the woods, plus or minus twenty miles. Um, a couple things. Uh, Nimona for a reprint. Of course. Um, Bandette. Yeah. Which when was the last time that was out? I mean, I guess it was sometime in 2015, but um, I don't know. Next hardcover volume is due out, I believe, next month. Okay. okay. It's still up on Monkey Brains digitally, as far as I know. Gotcha. Um, Jordi Belair, best colorist. Oh, Jordi. Awesome. Which, that was a hard category. Did you guys vote in the Eisners or, or not? I didn't know that we were no. allowed to. Uh, you are can. we? Yeah. If you are like podcaster or journalist or involved what? in comics in some way, you can what? register. What? Okay, you can register and you can vote for these categories. So oh, I actually, oh, I voted for Jordy. Um, so I'm excited. But that was one category. I sat there and I was like, I, I don't know which one. Um, so for next year, you guys can vote the Eisners. Yeah, you, can't, you can't nominate, but you can vote based on the nominations they put forth. Oh, I did. Someone well, I would have voted us. for yeah, that. Where has this information been for the last couple of years? I am so sorry. It's far explained. <laughs> yeah. Man. I Anything just, else? I just assumed you guys. Anything else that you're holding back from the group? Sorry. Totally. It's like, these, right now, these results guys. could have been totally different. It's like playing a video game with a friend for the first time. They've played it, you haven't, and they don't tell you like all the, the buttons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, that's um, awesome, though. I'm really glad. That's awesome. I really want to vote. Yeah. Have yeah. My, my voice be heard, man. Did you vote for that Silver Surfer issue, Mara? I did. Oh. Yes. I did. Oh. <laughs> Um, best the vote to put over the top. It, yeah, because of Bob. Yeah. Because of Bob telling Aww. me, you need to read it because it's really good. And then me reading it. So There you go. Um, Cliff oh. Chang for best penciler, um, specifically for Paper Girls. Um, Dustin Wynn, best painter, multimedia yeah. artist. Um, cool. Best writer, Jason Aaron, which was our second place. I believe so. Because I think Rucka, Rucka came in first and then Jason Aaron. Um, but he was he put out a lot last year. Um, best writer artist, Bill Griffith, which I'm not familiar with him. Uh, best cover artist, David Aha. So that was, that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Dan Mora as most promising newcomer. Um, Bill Finger award for comic book writing goes to Elliot Magan. Magin? With Megan with DC, long time, 60s, 70s, 80s, did lots of stuff. Usually had an S in the middle of his name. It's Elliot, Elliot S. S. Megan. Okay. okay. Not that that helps any. No, but now I have a name I, I can look for. Yeah. Um, best comics related periodical of journalism, Hogan's Alley. Um, comics related book, Harvey Kurtzman, the man who created mad and revolutionized humor in America. Um, academic Very scholarly true. work is one that Carolyn Coca mentioned to us, which is the Black or the Ink Constructions of Black Identity in Comics and Sequential Art. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one that actually Google um, Google Books has a preview of. So you can go and check out part of that, um, which I did when we were doing our Icon episode for Legendary Runs, because there's a chapter on there or in that book about Icon. Um, international Media, The Realist, and then Asian International Media, Showa, um, 1953 the 1989 history of japan which i don't know if you guys have seen those books but they are like three inches Humongous. thick yeah and really intimidating and i keep 
checking them out from the library to read them. And I'm like, I can't handle this. This is yeah. <laughs> um, Two Brothers by Fabio yes. Moon and Gabrielle Ba. Adaptation nice. from another medium. Uh, so good. That, that was, I was like, yeah, that's awesome. Um, humanitarian Award uh, for Matthew Inman of The Oatmeal. Uh, early readers, Little Robot, which I did read and it was really cute. Uh, about a little girl who finds a robot and fixes him up. Uh, Over the Garden Wall for Best Publication Kids, 9 through 12. For teens, Super Mutant Magic Academy. Yeah, I told you. <laughs> That's, I got to get that. I got to read that, man. It's, oh, it's, it's good. so good. It's so much fun. It's so crude, but in a very entertaining way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if I would hand it to a 13-year-old. It might be a little no, bit. No, uh, no. I was actually surprised by the category that it was uh, nominated yeah. for. But hey, but you know what? Fun. 13 year olds may be a lot more mature than I am. So they can, no. they can check it out. No, no, <laughs> no. At uh, least they could pick up a couple of new insult words from the book if they want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Eternaut by Hector Jamon Oysterheld. And it's, I can't, I'm just not going to pretend. Um, best archival collection for the. Eternaut, and Best Archival Collection Project, Walt Kelly's Fairy Tales. Um, humor publication, Step Aside Pops, Hark yeah. a Vagrant Collection, which we Sweet. read this year. And Spirit of Comics Retailer Award, Orbital Comics. So lots of, lots of awesome things there. Um, guys can uh, vote next year. I definitely that? will. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> can I vote so, for Silver Surfer number 11 again? Uh, if it's nominated again, which... Okay. Who knows? <laughs> hey, man, knowing Slot and Allred, they'll do something else. <laughs> mm. Did uh, anybody else think it was interesting how much Valiant stuff was on the ballot? For the Harvey Harvey Awards or something like that? Or was just, it the Harvey? was the Harvey where there was a – look like there was a ballot Oh, stuffing. it was the Harvey's, not yeah. the guys. Oh, okay. Well, no, they had, they had something. Harvey's had something where – somebody tried to explain it on Twitter about how that system is like you, you go and vote for whatever you want to be on the ballot. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those like, meh, okay, a lot of kind of an inside thing, but okay, because it was one of those things like, I'm not reading any Valiant comics, so I have no idea the the value of these compared to others. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I just I'm happy with. I read a lot of those things, so I felt pretty yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Lines up nicely with our best best of. Sure. Right, shows you how smart they are. Yeah. Also, like our show can be predictors of Eisner outcomes. That's right. Or at least nominations for Eisner's. We're the Golden Globes of comics. That's right. <gasps> I like I'm, that. I'm I'm proud of that that comparison. I think that that's you know when we get ready to record our end of the year, we're gonna yeah. title we're, we're, we're right the, <laughs> the Golden, Golden Globes. Globes of comics. Well, we're also like the Golden Globes. Yeah, we're ahead. We're ahead, right? Mm-hmm. We're in this case six months ahead. Yeah. yeah. And we drink. So oh, yeah. I was just going to say that. <laughs> Sorry. That was going to be my punchline. It's cool. You, you deserve it. <laughs> um, so let's, let's talk about some San Diego Comic-Con news. And Joey, you actually rounded these up yeah. for us. Um, if you want to hit on those real quick. I pulled up some highlights from the, the Marvel and DC panels, which some of the panels that um, particularly DC did this year um, were very interesting, very informative. They did a great um, – I always liked the How I Broke Into Comics panels. DC Mm -hmm. did one of those this year, which is really cool. Um, On the Marvel side, just a couple of highlights. Uh, 
Civil War to the Oath, which is going to be an epilogue kind of issue by Nick Spencer and Rod Reese, uh, pitched as Tony and Carol both turn to Hydra Cap for support, which is obviously bad news bears. <laughs> should be hilarious and fun. Um, there's going to be a new digital- fun and mine differ greatly. Though. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Like, uh, Interesting. Yeah, it's know. probably better. Uh, this- okay. They're going to go back to those Infinite Comics that they were doing a bunch of, you know, those mm-hmm. exclusively yeah. digital ones. Doctor Great Strange, idea. Punisher, Magic Bullets, which I think is awesome. the, <laughs> I think it's such a terrible title. But oh, <laughs> first JFK assassination theorists. It's great. That's going to be John Barber, Fall 2016. Um, Inhumans mm-hmm. versus X-Men. We're going to get Death of X later this summer. Inhumans versus X-Men. They're going to continue the storyline. Charles Soule and Jeff Lemire, I guess, are the... X-Men architects now. They're going to be working on this with Laniel Yu, which is pretty cool. Um, Sana Amana brought up uh, a storybook coming up called Goodnight Groot, which I'm assuming is is the same as Goodnight Moon, uh, except obviously with Groot, and announced several more YA novels coming down the pike, uh, maybe starring Take Comics' favorite Squirrel Girl Mm. uh, those, which might be fun. Um... The Spider-Man panel was very informative. So let's go into the negative zone. There's going to be a female Electro in Amazing Spider-Man number 17. Uh, and Doc Ock is coming back soon too. Uh, just a couple of interesting notes from the Marvel stuff. Bob, sorry. There's no immediate plans for Fantastic Four. Yes. Ask that yeah. question. Um, and Migna Wen in the Women of Marvel panel told everyone that she was the president of her high school sci-fi club. And played Dungeons and Dragons. Hey, uh, so yeah. Agent May is even cooler in my book. Than <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but that, that Women of Marvel panel is great too if you could read any recaps on that. Um, Marvel, obviously a lot of Civil War II stuff. Some huge Black Panther news. Mara, I don't know if you wanted to talk about uh, that, the announcement of that new spinoff series from Black Panther. Um, I don't know much about it. I just know they've um, that it's Roxanne Gay mm-hmm. who – I don't. I don't know who that is. Um, oh, she's amazing. I looked her up on Twitter, and uh, she's a novelist, right? A novelist writer. She wrote Bad Feminist, right? I want to say mm-hmm. uh, an Untamed year. State. We have yeah, we have a press yeah, release. I have a press Steve, release Steve right here. Oh man! Would you like me to read it? Yeah. Do it. All right. Marvel Comics announces Black Panther World of Wakanda. New series co-written by Roxanne Gay and Taganisi Coates and drawn by Althea E. Martinez complements and uh, complements and expands Marvel Comics Black Panther. Uh, Wakanda, the African country and home of the Black Panther, is the most sophisticated and technologically advanced nation on Earth. Its influence reaches across all the Marvel Universe. And today, Marvel Comics is proud to present an all-new, ongoing series devoted to the uh, the exploring the people of this fascinating locale with Black Panther World of Wakanda. The first arc, co-written by Roxanne Gay, and the best-selling Black Panther series writer, Takanisi Coates, with artwork by... (laughs) I'm not going to read all the names again. We'll focus... (laughs) On Ayo and Adika, two members of the Dora Milaje, Black Panther's uh, elite squad of female bodyguards. Uh, under the leadership of uh, Anyo and Anika, the Dora Milaje decide to expand their mission to not only serve uh, as protection for the Black Panther, but to also right the wrongs, particularly against women in Wakanda and around the world. Uh, Gay says they also have to deal with repercussions of Anika murdering a village chieftain as well as a threat from within. 
Bum, 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 bum. I think it's yeah, crazy cool. that they they got Ta-Nehisi Coates, who I'm reading his book, Between the World and Me, right now, which is just so such a powerful, powerful book. And Roxane Gay, who is this very, uh, you know, um, burgeoning and, and iconic figure in, in, in the movements kind of that she's in as well. It's just like Marvel kind of grabbing these two up has been so awesome to see. Not your typical comic book writers mm-hmm. and yet here they are working on such vaunted books they I, it was one of the biggest announcements that they put out um over the weekend too um so it's really interesting to see i'm really interested to read that book there's a new black panther issue out today you know that yeah. they've they're committed to this issue that this issue this book um as so much so that they have a spin-off coming out too which is really cool to see mm-hmm. so, so that was um that was like the i think the first big comic news i saw come through i wasn't watching panels along i was just kind of you know flipping through twitter and and seeing that name and i was like who is this and Mm. what is she writing and and so now i'm like all right i'm ready to i'm ready to pre-order so (laughs) yeah that's all it took um what about dc uh dc's panels focus was uh was a lot on rebirth and kind of unpacking rebirth so not Mm -hmm. a lot of new stuff came out of them there was a couple of of notes um those of you that are missing Adam, Legion of Superheroes, Justice Society, they're coming back real soon, they promised. And obviously we're still waiting on some Justice League announcements too in terms of the comics. They did talk about Batman, Night of the Monster Men, which is going to be the first crossover of the Rebirth era, uh, which is going to cross over Batman, um, Detective Comics, and Nightwing. Um, Steve Orlando, Tom King, and Riley Rasmo will be working on that. Pitched is basically like, I know, right? That's crazy. Um, uh, pitch is basically like big flipping monsters in Gotham and Batman <laughs> and Batwoman and Nightwing have to like fight them. Like that's, that's basically what they pitched it as, which is, which is really, really cool. And, um, and Rossville on art. I know it's going to be crazy. Oh yeah. I'm in. Um, uh, what else? What else? Okay. So Joel Jones signed an exclusive contract with DC comics. What? Uh, yeah, I know pretty wild. Oh. But no, Bob, listen, I have I have an advanced review copy of Lady Killer Two Number One. No, I it's you sitting got around. Okay, jo- Joey is waiting for me to review it. Okay, <laughs> okay, because um, I haven't read it yet. I keep I keep like oh, I want to wait for it to come out before mm-hmm. I dive into it. But I like, do we know what she's going to be writing for DC, or is it just kind of a yeah. she'll be she'll be with us and we'll we'll pull her out for something eventually? Yeah. I think that's all they said. Um, nothing else was announced in terms of that. And I don't okay. know if it was art or writing or what. I don't know, actually. Both, both, both. Uh, yeah, yeah, both, yeah. Um, kind of spinning off of that. Yeah. Oh, my God. <gasps> yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. But, Hobby, wow. you need to go work for DC and tell them who to put who, where. <laughs> um, spinning off of that, Jamie S. Rich, who worked with Joel Jones on – 12 Reasons Why I Love Her, which is one of my favorite books from, from last year. The uh, Dark Horse released a, a 10th anniversary edition of that. Uh, is now the group editor at Vertigo, which is really cool to see. He got a little promotion there. Um, Vertigo made uh, several announcements. There's going to be a spinoff from the Fables universe called Ever After. A sequel to The Lost Boys, The Vampires, you know, uh, by Tim Seeley. And a post-apocalyptic. <laughs> miniseries from Josh Williamson called Frostbite, which he talked at length about, which sounded, I think he pitched it as um, Three Ten to Yuma meets Snowpiercer or something like that. Okay. Like, 
really weird stuff there, which is cool. Um, and Jim Lee was like, "Hey guys, if you like Wildstorm, we're gonna make a big announcement at it of it at New York Comic Con. So oh, okay. you can have to wait until New York to get uh, some Wildstorm news from them." <laughs> Um, but like I said, it was a lot of – for both Marvel and DC, Marvel spent a lot of time unpacking Civil War II and the previews that we talked about last week mm-hmm. um, and some of the big changes there. And DC spent a lot of time unpacking Rebirth. Um, there's a great panel that talks about the ideas behind Rebirth. Um, Jeff Johns was like, you know, um, Rebirth is all about heart honor and heroes, you know, and that's what I wanted. And they let me do that. And he talks about the process of putting together that rebirth issue too. So if you can go back and read some of the, the recaps of some of those panels, there's some really cool stuff um, there. Yeah. I think the only panel I watched was the wonder woman one because it's wonder woman. Because, (laughs) Because, um, so I may have to go back and watch some of those, those bigger ones. They brought out Liam Sharp and Nicholas Scott for the uh, How I Broke Into Comics panel. So uh-huh. they had some interesting feedback. Liam Sharp was like, you have to work for 30 years uh, in, in, <laughs> in England and, and right on 2000 AD, and then you'll come over and do Wonder Woman. That's how you do it, you know? So <laughs> Recipe for success. <laughs> Gosh, I don't think I have that kind of time. <laughs> I saw an interesting little tidbit about Ms. Scott that she was actually up to play Wonder Woman. On the she, television show, they were going to make when it was going to be the teenage or the younger Diana. When what? it was going to be sort of the what? Sort of, yes, she talked she about like, auditioning for it. Yeah, in the she was in the top two or three people coming down the end that she almost got the part. That's crazy. They, yeah, they put in Adriana Palicki, that one. Like no, no. Years ago? they were going to the one do before the that? younger Diana, where it was just going to be called Amazon. Mm. So that would have been cool. Yeah, yeah. We may not have had, had her as an artist later, but yeah. You know. They shot that pilot. It's floating around somewhere that Adrian. Oh, no, that was, oh, Steve and I drunk tweeted it one oh, night. Yeah. From my house. <laughs> I have not seen it. I don't want to see it. I know enough about it to know it's oh, not Mara. mine, Diana. So she okay. wears the pants. She wears pants in no, that one. Well, that's, the, look, pants. the pants are, are okay. Here's the thing. It, it, we'll, 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 go, we'll go down this road before, and then we'll talk about the trailer. Yes, because we have, to, be a segue. We right. have to come back up from, from a low this. point. <laughs> There's Diana early on captures this guy who works for a drug dealer who's giving out super steroids to all these high school athletes and all they're all dying. Um, you and it's great. Yeah, it's all it's all a plot by Elizabeth Hurley, actually. Oh. Nice. Yeah. So th- this bad guy is captured. He's laying in the hospital and Wonder Woman shows up because she needs information from the fella. So she goes to the prison ward of the hospital and basically sticks her cleavage in the policeman's face so she can get in the room. This is true. Oh, no. Then (laughs) sits down next to the guy laying in a hospital bed with tubes in his arms and up his nose. I need some information. Oh, you can't get anything from me. I'm this. So you cut to a scene where she lays the golden lasso on his chest and we cut away and you're expecting, oh, it's going to be like Wonder Woman. They go to the hallway. There's this scream from inside the room as she breaks his arm. Oh, oh my gosh! To get the information from him. Yes, that's the, that's the Adrian Palicki pilot. Oh, it's a one. wonder oh. why that never got picked up. Ooh. <laughs> how, how <about> the, uh, <laughs> there's also this subplot of them constantly trying to figure out how to market. Oh boy! Uh, oh, you're gonna go there. Go for it. And Steve. they create a action figure uh, using her likeness, and it is 
every terrible variant cover, every terrible thing you've ever seen come out on the toy shelves that you've just been like, how does that even get approved? And well, and Diana (laughs) says that and uses the words T and A, but the whole words. Oh, man. Oh, my gosh. Yep. Well, okay, so obviously... Well, she's an awesome talk Mockingbird about th- on those... Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I do want to yes. throw that out there. Yeah, yeah, but she's great as Mockingbird. Wasn't her fault, yes. But those showrunners probably never actually read a Wonder Woman comic. Oh, absolutely. Patty, Patty Jenks? Jenks? Jenkins? Patty Jenkins? Yes, Jenkins. On the Wonder Woman panel, talked about going back and reading Perez Run. Mm. And she um, on on Twitter, Phil Jimenez had tweeted something to her about like happy birthday or, you know, trailer looks great. And she's like fangirled out about it. Wow. <laughs> and she's like, I cannot. She's go. like, I love your stuff. And she's like, I can't wait. I hope we get to meet someday. And Phil Jimenez is like, what? This is this is awesome. <laughs> um, so, of course, like Patty, the director of the Wonder Woman movie coming out next summer has read the comics and, you know, seen the, the old 70s show and, and things like that. And it totally shows in that trailer. She did an interview a couple of weeks ago and she was like, after I did Monster, they asked me, what do you want to do next? And I said, then Wonder Woman. And that was in like 2003 or something like that. Mm-hmm. So she's like been so ecstatic to do this. And I think um, obviously we'll talk about the trailer, but, yeah. you know, let's, I think it shows. I think it shows. Yeah. Let's, so let's talk about that trailer. Um, Steve. Yes. First impressions. Uh, it has me excited. I'm, I'm excited. Between the uh, Suicide Squad coming out and the footage of Wonder Woman, it's put me a lot more at ease because we got kind of what we get like pictures from Entertainment Weekly. And then we got that 30 second clip that didn't quite live up to what I really wanted. This had a lot more atmosphere to it. Uh, There's quite a bit of slow-mo to fast forward battling going on. Like there's a part in the trailer that almost looks exactly like the Batman warehouse fight from BVS. (laughs) Um, But, but I do like the emphasis on uh, like, like the sword and shield and the lasso, the lasso in particular, I think looks awesome. I love the, the visual effect that they're using for it. Uh, Tonally looks cool. The Steve, uh, Steve Trevor stuff was, it played better for me. Like after I watched it a few times, it came off as a little, a little empty, a little dry. in, in his reactions mm-hmm. to kind of her, her weird ways of, of answering, like you're a man. He's kind of like, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> but in terms of of like the the tug of war that I've experienced with the the DC films and kind of wanting to believe and then being let down in certain ways it's a constant tug of war that I have with, mm-hmm. with their lineup, right? This is pulling me back onto the side of being hopeful and being excited. Some of those shots of wonder woman, particularly of, of the one of her kind of marching through the battlefield with all of the, the ricocheting bullets and mortars blowing up and dirt in her face and all of that stuff. And her just kind of barreling through it has me like jumping out of my seat. It looks so good. Mm-hmm. Um, very dark, but like as far like, like cinematography and as far as like filters they're using and stuff like that, but it's war, right? It's, yeah. it's panic and it's death and it's all, it's all those things that we've seen. So I'm okay with that. Yeah. Uh, um, I want to get to Joey real quick. Cause then um, yeah. I'm sure Bob and I like, I have some things to dissect. 
for the yeah. the trailer. So we're I'm sure yeah. the two of us have a lot to to add in as far as like comics to to trailer. But Joey, what were your impressions? I a lot of the echoing a lot of thoughts that Steve has. Um, I think the war setting. I know mm-hmm. that's been a little. Um, a point of contention for some fans, but I have talked previously on the show too with Pretty Deadly, the second volume. I'm a sucker for World War One stories. I think that, I think that it affords such an interesting conversation, and I think that what we're getting from the trailer, and I don't know, we don't know the story, but I think part of what we're seeing is the, this World War as a World War encompasses Diana's home, mm-hmm. and 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 what do we get when when the the wars of men come to this this place uh, of the Amazons. And I think that there's some clips of what happens when you mess with them, you know, uh, that, okay. that, were, that were pretty uh, <laughs> interesting to see. Um, I, think, I think it was surprisingly violent. I think there was, a, a, there was a lot of the war imagery, a lot of the fights were in it. I think it was badass. Like, I, I think it was really cool to see. And I think a lot of... Um, how she's using the lasso and and the shield and the 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 costume and the sword and all of that. I think it's so dynamic and interesting and I, I just got excited watching it and and watching it two, three, four, five times. I just got excited and excited and excited. And I'm uh, I think this movie, um, this trailer got me very excited for what's coming and then the Justice League one, which we'll talk about in a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, was just like, oh, yes, you know, maybe they are taking it in a direction that um, I can be excited about. Yeah. Um, very optimistic after the Justice League one, after the Wonder Woman one, very excited for the films, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to hear what, what you and Bob have to say. Yeah, so, so Bob. Okay. Did this live up to all your expectations for a trailer? Yes, and there's a lot to be excited for just that there, there is a Wonder Woman trailer for a feature film. Yes. And so anything I say past that, I want everyone to take that into consideration. I really am in love with the idea that this movie is being made. Right? Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. That, all, that all said, it is a little dark and stabby, but mm-hmm. I get why. They're trying to sell this movie to the fans of BVS and Dark Knight and... No offense, guys, to guys. Yeah. As opposed to Wonder <laughs> Woman fans. They're trying to place this in the marketplace. And I think as the as this next trailer and the one after that, we're gonna see more of Diana's personality and what she's about as a character. At least I'm I'm yeah. fingers crossed with that because that's all Patty Jenkins is talking about. How close she feels she has to get to the real character, the real core of the thing. So I'm I'll I'll it's too early to go there. Mm-hmm. I wish that instead of using her shield, she flashed the bracelets. Yes. I mean, she doesn't need the shield even against machine guns. So that's that's I mean, she a doesn't little... have them yet. No, she always she has, she has to have them. She, she has, has to have them. them. It's part of <laughs> her. Yeah, she's, she's got, got the, the she's got the, she can have the bracelets. She's got the armor boots, you know, like the armor boots are cool. Off... Right, no question. Can and I it, ask it's, you sure, go ahead. Steve is asking so a question. Cool. <laughs> now I might be totally off base. You are. Go this. ahead. <laughs> that's wow. That's here's the question. The the emphasis of the shield. One of the most recognizable like objects, weapons, things from the Marvel universe for the past several years has been Captain America's shield. Correct. What if Wonder Woman's shield that they're trying to 
highlight that and use that well, a lot to market it as a symbol. And like that's DC's shield. It's it, possible, but here's a couple of interesting things about that. I have read that the reason they went with a World War I setting instead of World War II, which is traditional, mm -hmm. was they wanted to separate it from Captain America. That they thought if they put her in against the Nazis, you'd, people would instantly make that comparison as if they were stealing. Yeah. Mm. So if that is the case, then using her shield as a marketing thing. Look, it's in all the statues. It's in all the toys. The thing of it is, as Trina Robbins pointed out more than once with us, and certainly in that Wonder Woman documentary, when Wonder Woman is created, look at what they gave her as her weaponry and gadgets. Yeah. It's a lasso made of golden links like jewelry. It's, it's the headband. Mm -hmm. She has earrings where she can talk to her mom. <laughs> and, and the bracelets. Those bracelets have. are as iconic as anything that's ever been in comic books. She doesn't need the shield. She's got those bracelets. So I know what you're saying, and I think they're doing that, but I think it's a misstep. Does she have, like, does she have uh, bulletproof skin? No. no. No, she doesn't. She it's has just to deflect them. It's that skill. That's a lot of gunfire to be. Yeah, but as far back, look, it's even. She's Wonder Woman, Steve. She's got Linda boots. Carter. Right. In the Linda Carter pilots, a, a lady steps up in the audience of the theater and pulls out a Tommy gun. And Linda Carter just punched a lot, just knocks just start breakdancing in the right. middle yeah. of the battlefield. So that's all fine. Yeah. This is this is the benefit of the Patreon feed right now. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Bullets. My, Linda Carter big, bullet deflecting. Yeah. We have to put up some video of that. Sure. Uh, have you heard how she does that? How that special effect was done 40 years ago? Uh-uh. No. The bracelets had electric wires in them, <gasps> so controllers in her hands. And the reason she's making a fist, she's actually punching little triggers that are causing electric sparks on the bracelet oh, like that look shorts. like the bullet so impact cool. on the bracelet. Wow. That's, That's awesome. theater magic. Theater magic right there. Yeah. yeah. Old-fashioned uh, stuff. Yeah. So, you know, the shield thing was kind of odd um, given, you know, the fact that she has bracelets. But we don't know the whole story about if she's using a shield yet. Um, there is something that's mentioned in the trailer that makes me kind of go. Oh. Go for this one because I think I know where you're headed. Um, oh, so, so yeah. Chris Pine slash Steve Trevor slash Captain Kirk is asking um, <laughs> Diana, you know, so you don't have a father, and she's like, no, like, and so I'm like, okay, yeah, good, awesome. I Great. was I was brought to life by Zeus, ah! and I'm like, <laughs> so so going back because I've been reading a lot of like origin Wonder Woman stories. Um, and one of them that I revisited like yesterday was the George Perez one, um, which is, you know, a, one that we commonly think of in the first place. Um, the goddesses are wanting to create a race of, of people to worship them and, and set an example. And Zeus is sitting there going, whatever you do what you want. Your race is going to fail. This is stupid. Uh, I'm going to turn into a swan and go have sex with somebody. Um, <laughs> and, and this is true so all the goddesses are like whatever and Hera is kind of like just do it like you know go, go do your thing so you know the whole thing about the Amazons and Diana is that it was almost a rebellion against Greek patriarchy you know the, the Zeus this ultimate patriarchal symbol did not approve of this race of women but the goddesses did it anyway because they, they saw something special there so I don't know if they're using the idea that Zeus brought her to life because it's easier for people who aren't 
so into that Wonder Woman history to understand, or if it's a little bit more deliberate than that. Um, but that was something I was like, okay, just let go, Mara. Just let go. No, don't yeah. let go. If they change one word there, if they say I was, she says I was brought to life by Aphrodite. Or even Athena. Like right. people it's know who Athena there. are, who yeah. Athena is. I mean, but. Which she was. It was on your coffee mug. Yeah. Right They're here. There, there yeah. you go. But it, it was something I was like, like, I'm really glad they're using the Greek gods, you know, bringing her to life. But I, I really don't want them to emphasize Zeus because he's kind of like the theological creep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't want anything associated with him. But, that's why they broke away. Yeah. Do you think that that's going to be like a, a excuse for them to have tensions within the family and cast someone as Zeus and he tries to meddle in Wonder Woman's doings? I doubt it. What, I hope no? so. No, you don't think so? No, I, I, someone can kick his butt. Yeah. Yeah. Diana can I kick just, his butt. Yeah. <laughs> I I heard that line too and I was like that's weird but then i was like is that really a storyline that they'll go down you know like is that something that they'll pursue further um the entire kind of like mythos behind i feel like they're so even though the film that they're doing right now with the world war one story and and all the introduction and then the justice league film like are they really going to be like wonder woman 2 what's up with the greek gods you know what are they doing (laughs) yeah like is that really like a a a way they'd go down and is that a movie people want to see you know they're trying to um, fast track her into the team uh they 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 paid to see thor twice yeah yeah but even the wonder woman is tricky and we managed to do Asgard and Frost Giants and all the rest of it. Third one still got some Asgardian stuff, I think, right? Yeah, well, Ragnarok. I, I yeah. think that they're going more like aliens and and stuff like that. And it was pitched that way. They didn't. They didn't actually do the Norse mythology. They presented them to us as aliens, aliens, and mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. You know. So. So DC can totally do the mythology thing because Marvel hasn't done it technically. Yeah. So, um, but that, that was something in the trailer that was the only thing I saw that was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm confused how they're going to do this. Because I don't want another variation of the Wonder Woman origin story. It's already too confusing as it is. There's already too many weird mm-hmm. things going on. Um, so, What did you think of Edda? <sighs> Love it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I'm really excited that they're including Etta and she seems to be like the same peppy, happy character that, that was in the comics. I like her. Yeah. <laughs> that, that line is yeah. <laughs> budding friendship right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's, let's talk about the justice league trailer. The other wonder woman trailer. Um, <laughs> the Aquaman wonder woman trailer. The Aquaman oh, wonder yeah. woman trailer. Oh, that's going to be the only reason I see it. <laughs> Which one, Aquaman? Yeah. Yeah. You know, Aquaman is one of those characters where it's like, "Mm, okay, whatever. But when you see him, like, with a harpoon for a hand or, you know, like, really (laughs) rad hair, you're kind of like, okay. Yeah. I will say that, like, this version of it, like, watching this Justice League trailer and then they're doing the Aquaman was so much more... Like got me so much more excited than the clip of him in Batman versus Superman yeah, where he's just like floating with the Oh god. 
benefit of the Patreon right now. 3D. It's always in 3D. Uh, yeah. So you know, and like here he's talking and he's got the look and there's these great shot, like very moody shots. Um, because yeah, I mean, Snyder's doing this one, right? He's directing I think Justice so. League, right? I think so. His strength has always been visual, right? And some of these, some of the shots in this trailer were just like really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the Flash stuff, some of the Aquaman stuff, um, and there was a sense of fun here that that was severely lacking. In some mm-hmm. of the, the later entry, the the latest entries, mm-hmm. uh, I think the White Stripes song kind of helped with that. Yeah, you know, for, I mean, it's always hard to use like pop music with with films because it automatically dates it. Um, but that one's already old in the first place, and it had like a, a good beat to it. That it's like okay, so this is going to be this kind of movie. It's not going to be, you know, um, Skrillet. What dubstep? It's less that and more like, yeah, a little bit like poppy and, and jazzy. Um, Bob, what'd you think? Well, I particularly like the scene with Tony Stark and Peter Parker. Uh, Batman <laughs> and Flash. Actually, it's uh, Tony Stark. Not Tony Stark. <laughs> yeah. The, um, why is the Flash a 15-year-old police scientist all of a sudden? Yeah, that was weird. And and why are they sitting in John Sarah's second favorite chair? It's like the scene from Juno. <laughs> uh, I, I know they don't want to use the TV actors, but Grant Gustin's so great as the Flash. I don't know that I can see anybody else right now. Yeah. Uh, I, I do love that they tried to make this lighter. Ben Affleck has got some really nice moments. So you talk to fish. <laughs> you know, and there does seem still to be consequences. Uh, it's... It's a it's an interesting mixed bag of stuff. They're trying a lot of things at once, and most of them hit. Mm-hmm. So, definitely not as excited as I was for Wonder Woman, but more excited than I thought I would be. Yeah, I think it's so, a little bit more hopeful. Like, okay, yes. they, they can learn from previous movies. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, so four movies in, they're going to be doing Guardians, I guess. But yeah. they're going to huh. just continue to lighten up, and yeah. <laughs> I do think they're still very adult. Yeah. Just from yeah. It. Doesn't seem mm. like a kids movie. Sure. Or and isn't that sad in its own way? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Steve, what'd you think? Anything to add? Uh, yeah, no, not really. I mean, a little bit of what everybody said. I, uh, I thought the presentation of it was interesting. There's definitely a, it was a conscious decision to put together a trailer like this. Uh, the tone of it, they're definitely trying to, wrangle in the stragglers from the people that are like people like us yes, exactly. who aren't really a hundred percent on board and they're they're trying right they're yeah. they're trying to present people with something to more be like, props hey, to them for trying yeah yep. no absolutely yep. absolutely Counts. you know hey like we've heard you know you're you're discontent with this stuff and look while we're not trying to you know bend over and 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 present everything that you want we're trying to scale it back a little bit, maybe introduce a little bit of fun because we've realized that these movies can be both. You can have your really dark moments, but let's like let's pepper it a little bit with a little bit of humor. Uh, the Aquaman stuff, oh my god, the Aquaman stuff has me belly laughing so hard. <laughs> Jason Momoa looks amazing, but oh my god, does he not look like an Aquaman? He looks like he just walked off the set of Game of Thrones. And while I think he that's did. kind of awesome, yes. <laughs> like 
Aquaman, regardless of having when the DC fifty two started, and um, Jeff Johns was was writing that, correct? And he mm-hmm. kind of reintroduced the character, and it was funny. And the Throne of Atlantis arc was awesome, and and it just it was so epic, and and everybody had this kind of restored respect. Or maybe not even restored. Maybe, you know, it finally came to life, this respect for Aquaman. And now this movie comes along for all the people that didn't read that stuff and maybe still hate Aquaman and are still kind of going off what they've seen from, like, Robot Chicken and stuff like that. Right. And then they come out and, like, it's slow-mo and the waves are crashing up behind them. And it's like he's walking away from a, like a building explosion in an action movie. And he's like drinking some Jimmy Walker and then throws it on the ground. Down. Yeah, which I think is interesting considering that he's Aquaman. He just threw a glass bottle on the ground, probably shattered. <laughs> the water that's creeping behind him is going to grab that glass and pull it back into the damn ocean. Shame on you, yeah. Momoa Man. Hey man, like, I thought it was badass. Though. It was a good <laughs> no, shot. No, no, it was awesome. It was super sweet. It's a great shot. But that's it's, about it. <laughs> go ahead. No, it's like a, it's a really good way to get people to turn their heads on the character because all we've seen, like you said, Joey, is him just kind of like floating there for a couple of seconds. Like, what a shitty. What a shitty way to introduce a character. I'm sorry if I'm going to go off on a thing. Go, no, go for it. Those for little it. clips, that was such a shitty way to introduce <laughs> yeah. these awesome characters that are coming into the, the DC. Yeah, but that was the interdimensional thumb drive that ah, Bruce fuck had. That. Whatever. <laughs> I, oh, my gosh. Sorry. Some uh, like trauma from BVS is starting to come up here. Yes. I just... <laughs> Look, there, there are some things that I like about the movie and there are some things I really don't like about that movie. And that is one of those things where I just felt like it was a very lackluster way of introducing these things between Cyborg in what they showed in BVS and then Cyborg, particularly in the trailer. Yeah. I really, really want that character to be cool. And it's only a trailer. And I yeah. haven't seen much of him. But what they give you in this trailer, they make him the killjoy and like the drip of yeah. the group, and I just hope, right, right. I just I hope that that's not his bag for the whole thing. I'm I'm hoping to see more from his stuff. I liked the Flash stuff. Uh, there was one uh, shot during the montage that I usually hate when they like they take footage and they speed it up really quick. There's something about it visually that bothers me. But there's this one shot of the Flash where he's kind of flashing into realizing what his situation is and he has this wide-eyed stare and just kind of like flickers to the right to avoid you know whatever's about to hit him and it's just like right off the comic book page it looks Mm -hmm. awesome yeah uh and you know what even if all the humor didn't land for me i like that they're that they're even trying this time out and there are going to be things that i will laugh at most likely in this movie and i really did like when Wonder Woman was talking to to Batman and they're talking about the Aquaman, you know, like how to go. And he's like, yeah, you know, does he say no? He said no. Like <laughs> that had me laughing more than his reaction to Barry when Barry was like, I need friends. That's a so stereotypical of, nerd, though. That's, that's yeah. so sad. Like, yeah. that's, that's not. I don't know if, if Barry's going to play off that nerdy science character. I I wish it was more of a. You know, I have friends. This is this is cool. I need peers. That kind of thing. Yeah. But whatever. Yeah, I don't. It's want a trailer. Him to, yeah, I don't want him to be like push. You know, 
proverbial like pushing his glasses up every scene, yeah. you know, just kind of, you know, well, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like he's supposed to be a smart, cool and, and accomplished. Charismatic. Yeah. yeah, charismatic, and he's young, and he's in. Well, he's in he's this version. He is, and he's in law enforcement. Like, you got to have your your stuff together to do that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, but yeah, no, I, I bo- both trailers have me very optimistic and very stoked. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I like that Justice League seems to be taking notes and and doing something with them, and I I applaud them for for making that leap and kind of conceding to that and trying to gain the rest of the audience mm-hmm. back that they could have if they just kind of just a little bit not a whole yep. lot not the whole thing just little things yeah mm-hmm. um also which isn't in our show notes so i just totally blanked and now remembered um luke cage trailer i just wrote that down yeah look right and defenders teaser there um, and an iron fist teaser too yeah yeah so i'm All i'm super stoked for what marvel netflix is bringing um, yeah. Bulletproof All Black that. Man. Give it to me now. All yeah. that. Give it yeah. to me. It's it's going to be great. And it's, uh, um, was it September? Uh, yeah. Yeah, September. Wow. Yeah, in the Luke Cage trailer, we talk about Reva, who is his girlfriend, that when he went into prison, was fiance. Mm-hmm. Went into prison, she ended up dead, and that's why he does what he does in her memory. I guess that's his dad, who comes up in the stories in the... 80s oh. and 90s. Maybe there was another trailer. The one that I saw was him like getting just shot all to yes. hell. Yes. Oh, but he, he's talking oh, no, about there was talking another to his one. dad. Yeah. He's oh. talking about Reva Connors. And, oh, okay. I didn't see yeah. that one. There's a couple. I mean, it's all good footage. And you know, the the cool thing about these Netflix Marvel trailers is that we already know the universe. We already know the tone that they're going to take, and we know uh, bits and pieces of the story based on what's been presented in Jessica Jones and Daredevil and, and going forward. So. Um, I did see on on Twitter, you know, people react their reactions to the Luke Cage footage, and they're like, "The world right now needs a bulletproof black man who, yeah, man. is fighting for, <laughs> you know, justice." And I was like, "That is pretty remarkable." Like, I'm, I'm, it's not something I would have thought of if I hadn't seen that perspective. But now I'm like, "All right, I, I can't wait to see what they what they do with that." So, and also defenders. Awesome. So that's gonna oh. be that's gonna be great. It's going to be amazing. That, that, I don't know if they just maybe, whatever it was that they did with uh, Nirvana's Come As You Are Mm -hmm. for that trailer, like they somehow, I know it's the original, like it's the original vocals. It's obviously Kurt, but it sounds like a remix, but I can't tell. It was very, it was a lot more atmospheric than the version on Nevermind. Yeah. And it was like a little bit slower, like a lot, like, very open and big and haunting and mm-hmm. just oh god it was such a it was such a perfect fit especially for like rounding a bunch of you know uh ragtag misfit characters together to form a team to come as you are as mm-hmm. you were like acceptance and you know you can't run from who you are and it's better to be with others like you to do good and i just you know, sometimes people I, I've heard had people come to me and complain like, oh, they're taking another old song and they're making it sound creepy. Like, I <laughs> kind of fresh. like that. It keeps yeah. it fresh and it, you know, I just like- redefines that song for an, another listener or a new generation. Yeah. Like the Patti Smith version of, of um, uh, Smells Like Team Spirit. Like, that's my favorite. The blues, bluegrass stuff. Um, mm. uh, Legion on FX. Yes. Do you yeah. guys? Are oh. you guys? I'm, I'm kind of like, eh, I might watch it. I might yeah. not. I don't know. I'm not a big Legion oh, I fan. I probably, I probably, I probably, 
Yeah, I was kind of looking forward to that. It looks like crap. I, uh, it just looks like it looks like meh. 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 What it is doesn't the, have me excited. There What's was the like premise? basically the basically the trailer is David Haller, right? Legion in a interrogation room at maybe a ward or something being asked questions about, you know, what's going on, blah, blah, blah. And they're doing, okay. you know, cuts to um, people doing things and him being blamed for so, something along those lines. And yeah, he's like, well, it wasn't me. It was, it was this other person or whatever. Um, and there's a, I, one of the most interesting moments from the trailer is like, there's a hard cut to like this musical number scene, yeah, which was kind of weird and cool where it's like in his head kind of thing. But I don't know, just the way that it was shot, the dialogue, the, the pacing of the trailer, it just was kind of like, it was an ineffective pump up trailer. Yeah. I don't know, know enough about it to make a decision. Does um, he have the giant hair? No, no. he's just some dude. Yeah, uh, <laughs> just a white kid, you know, some yeah. white kid being asked questions from some white dudes, you know, like that's basically what it was. In a white room. In a white room. Like it, when he when he turns into other people, it's just a bunch of white folks, you know, it's just like yeah. it's, it's what it was. Yeah, you know? but you know, it's it's a it's a trailer for a show I didn't even know was happening. So there you go. Like, that's oh. a shame because the the comic was really cool. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, sh- it's a shame that they're not. Ta- it doesn't sound like they're taking enough cues from that because that could have been the- really weird. The musical number was weird, and yeah, one of the things that makes that that Legion that made that Legion book so the X Men Legacy right it was yeah. the yeah. you know Superior was that it was so absurd and it, and it really gra- grasped onto the surrealism of his power set and going into his brain, mm-hmm. and it doesn't it at least from the footage that they showed it just didn't seem to be going down that route yeah or they could um, be saving it for people who might be turned yeah. off immediately from weirdness. It seems like, you know, another kind of procedural kind of show. You know? yeah. But, but, Lego Batman. Lego Batman! <laughs> yeah. Lego Batman. Yes. Whoa, that was good. That was really good. <laughs> that was really good, Joey. <laughs> um, it looks fun. Um, that was, it was one where when it was announced, I was kind of like, well, I don't want a Lego Batman movie. And now I saw the trailer. I'm like, I want a Lego Batman movie so bad. <laughs> I'm very excited about that movie, especially with all the villains coming into the picture. Yeah, I think it's gonna be fun. Yeah. And this I haven't trailer- seen the Lego movie yet, so what do I know? Oh, oh the Lego movie's very good. I it cried is. at the end. How about oh, Legos after? I, I, I cry at the end of a lot of movies. I watched Jim and the Holograms. I can't believe <laughs> you. I cannot. <laughs> I wanted to give you so much shit, but because it was Facebook and your family's on there, dude, I I watched that movie. And I was like, this is the worst Jim and the Holograms movie ever. And I watched it to the end and I still cried at the end. I don't know what it was. That movie looks like like it was filmed with somebody's iPhone. Maybe it was. Oh my God, Mara. It is so heinous. I just know I was in theaters for two weeks and then it was pulled. Well, I can't believe you shed still, tears for that piece of in shit. Spite of all of that, I cried at the end. <laughs> Holy crap! Um, oh god! Lego Batman. Lego Batman looks this fun. Trip introduced Robin, which was really yeah. cool. A oh. lot of fun. I I love the part in the th- in the trailer where uh, puts the outfit on, talks about the pants being in his way, and rips them off. And then <laughs> is dancing around. He shows his butt off to Batman, and then it's like, okay, let's go. Um, I was like, "This is the this is my type of humor. This is my comic book humor right here." So, 
Um, I'm real excited about that. I like Dr. how the Wortham pants would be upset. The uh, when he rips the pants off, they're actually like stiff and in the air because that's what they would be as Legos. They don't like fold when he throws yeah. them, so it's just like <laughs> pant legs back and Batman in the face. It's awesome. That's great. Um, and then one more I want to mention: um, Doctor Strange. They released mm-hmm. a new trailer. Uh, it doesn't change my opinion on the movie. I'm still going to see it. I'm still interested in the magic side of the Marvel universe and how everything fits in together there. Um, I don't know. Well, the director is now saying it's the entryway into the Marvel multiverse. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That they're going to introduce all sorts of crazy concepts as we move into this. Gosh, I'm so excited. Yeah. Uh, there's still a lot of inception type folding stuff going on. Yeah. You know, that, that could get old pretty quick, but I love how we sort of, crafting spells in the air and light things were going on. It's just, they've expanded some of that. Mm -hmm. I'm really interested to see if, well, now we've seen the villains. I'm not going to mispronounce his name. Mads Mads Mikkelsen. Mikkelsen. Yeah. -hmm. He looks really creepy. Sinister. Yeah. So that, that's good. Yes. What, what they've been saying, uh, Chilowell Odafor was playing Baron Mordo in the prequel comic book that was just out. He's actually playing Doctor Voodoo. Oh, okay. Which no. I was complaining. Yeah, in the in the comic book, he is he is Jericho Drum. Huh. So now what? I yes. So now is the comic book wrong? Is the is the IMDb wrong? Is it all a ploy that he's Baron Mordo, but he's playing Baron Mordo in the movie too? And he's actually Dr. Voodoo, Voodoo, Brother Voodoo, the other Sorcerer Supreme, because apparently there are lots of them in this multiverse. It's it's all a trick. It's throwing us off the scent. I know. Those Marvel movies, they they can't reveal much plot. Um, I Look, I'm going to see the movie. I love Benedict Cumberbatch. I love Chiwetel Ejiofor. I'm so glad that Benedict Wong has talked openly about, you know, rewriting the Wong character and making him less the man-servant tea-making dude and making him more of this, you know, equal to Strange. I I still can't get past the Tilda Swinton thing. It's something that still continues (laughs) to tick me off, you know, and I just like – There's just something about it that – and they – and – Scott Derrickson actually has come out and been like, you know, this experience has taught me this and and all of that. And it's great to hear. There was a there was um the the super Asian panel or or whatever it was titled <laughs> at, at the at the San Diego Comic Con talked a, a lot about this idea of, you know, j- erasing stereotypes doesn't automatically mean equality and representation right like that like by eliminating this stereotypical character yeah that's a great step but then by replacing or not even going down that route you're totally eliminating it too mm-hmm. um so i'm so glad that benedict wong is in it was featured a lot in the trailer yeah uh, uh which was great to see um and you know i just i saw star trek beyond this past weekend and w- how that film uses that cast and uses yeah. the diversity of that cast. It's like, it, it's there, you know, you just have it was to, awesome. It's so, yeah, that movie was a lot of fun. Very dark though. Like literally dark, like everything was dim and I didn't know, <laughs> if it, like I didn't have my glasses on or whatever, but you know, um, but you know, it's, it's so, it's such an important thing and it really makes a difference. It really does. So mm-hmm. there's something I, I just have to kind of like, 
overcome that little tick in my brain. But, you know, um, yeah, it, it got me excited. Yeah. Um, so I want to go ahead and talk about a movie that came out that I know Steve and I have seen. Um, Joey, have you seen The Killing Joke? I have not. And Bob is waiting for the DVD release. I saw it. Oh, you did see it? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Well, I saw the first 40 minutes. That's... That's all yeah, you need to see. That's, well, no, actually, that's the, that's the bad part. <laughs> well, that's well, what I meant. Well, <laughs> I'm not so thrilled with the other part that they based it on, so yeah. that was enough for me. Yeah, so... Um, the Killing Joke, the DC animated adaptation of the graphic novel by Alan Moore and Brian Bullard. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those, it's a classic. You know, it's something that a lot of people enjoy. Um, you know, it's a, it's a major piece of the DC canon now. And it's one of those that people getting into comics, it's one of the first things they read because it's very prevalent and a lot of people direct you to it. In fact, there was one time, oh, I hate this. I was at a Barnes and Noble looking through the comics section and this dude comes up to me. He's like, Hey, you know, what's a really good comic. You should read the killing joke. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, get nope. on my level. <laughs> get out <laughs> of here. Yeah, yeah. No, you're wrong. No, I was more like, uh huh. Yeah, sure. And then go back to like the stuff I was looking at anyway. Um, but it's, it's one of those comics that's really prevalent in our comic book culture and, and, and things like that. So it's, it's a movie long time in the making and Kevin Conroy, Tara Strong and Mark Hamill are all voice actors in it. Uh, so like the source material in the first place is problematic. A lot of people either really, really love it or really, really hate it. Um, or maybe like me, they're like, whatever, I don't want to read it more than once or twice anyway. Um, we're going to talk spoilers about it because most of the movie has been spoiled already online. And um, there's been a lot of articles and think pieces about the, the prologue that was written by Brian Azzarello added to the movie to flush out Robert Gordon's character on screen. Um, which, yeah, <laughs> it was like, if you had just called it anything else, it would have been fine. Like, it would have been way less offensive than calling it strong character or, you know, giving her a character arc. So... Um, my, my buddy was at the DC animated panel in San Diego Comic-Con and he was talking about how he, he goes to those every year. Um, and no matter what the animated movie is, he'll go and, and watch it. Uh, he saw Flashpoint. So, you know, there's, there's not a lot of, uh, <laughs> not a lot of big threshold there, but he said that this was the most packed he's ever seen it. Um, it was insane. They were saying things on the panel that were things like offensive things, things were, um, off, off character for people. Um, of course, there's like that infamous thing where Brian Azzarello used a gendered slur to someone in the audience. Mm -hmm. um, and he was one of the main writers for the prologue of a female character in the movie. So it was already a lot of apprehension going into it. I saw it Monday night um, in the theaters in the retirement community that's nearby. So I don't know how that theater got a hold of this movie. Um, I'm glad I spent the money to go see it in a theater because uh, it was very telling to me the audience reactions to certain parts of the movie, um, mostly the, the first 30 to 45 minutes of, of the film that Brian Azzel wrote about Barbara Gordon. Um, the, the parts that were supposed to be like, 
super serious, character building, whatever, everyone laughed at it. Uh, a lot of people were just kind of going, what? Like, you know, just kind of like giggling at things that were supposed to be serious and and just kind of taking it in that way. And then once the killing joke story started up, everyone, you know, kind of went back to normal audience viewing. So um, does anybody actually have a good summary of at least the first part of the movie they want to share? Because I've only seen it once. And I... Steve, I think, is ready. Yeah. Oh, no. No? You oh, look ready. No. What, summarize that? What, the is first... that trash? <laughs> I, have, I, have a, I have some thoughts about all of that, but as far as summarizing it, yeah. I, I, have, I have nothing positive to say about the yeah. first half hour of this movie. I, mean, I guess the, best, the best that can be done is Barbara Gordon is Batgirl, uh, trying to do her best. Uh, there's mob boss who's been flirting with her, and she's like, well, Batman's like, don't do it. She's like, ah, I'll do it. And then she does it. And then they get in a fight and then they do it. And then they do it. <laughs> yeah. What? They, and they do it. And then he doesn't call her and her, her gay best friend Batman doesn't call her. Yeah. It doesn't call her back. No. The, Batman. The day right after her gay best friends, like girl, something, something stereotypical. Bah. <laughs> um, and then she goes off the handle on him about it and then punches a dude over and over again and then decides not to be back roll anymore. And then the killing joke starts. Yeah. You <laughs> ruined it. You ruined it. It's all your fault because he didn't call me back because you yeah. bad guy. Punch, punch, punch. It was bad. It was poorly written. It was the worst story I'd ever seen or read about back roll. Wow. Like it just didn't make sense. And it was, I mean, there were, there were jokes, like gendered jokes, and they're like, oh, it must be your time of the month, or... No, um, there weren't. Yes, there were. Oh, my yes. God, that's disgusting, and I hate yeah. it. Yeah, yep. Uh, you know, the whole pining, um, you know, it's like, oh, it was just sex. It meant nothing to me. And Batman's yep. like, blah, 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 Batman, don't talk. Do your job. And it was just, it was just one of those things where... I don't know if they've ever read a Batgirl story or have an understanding of who Batgirl is. And it just seemed like it was just the, they've read the killing joke. That's it. Yeah. And so like, mm. what would this, what would this character act like before the killing joke? Hmm. Yeah. Extrapolating backwards from that. Yeah. Let, let me say this. Yeah. Go uh, for people it. Know, we, we had a book club episode about this. So I'll preface any remarks. I'm going to say here, I understand people do, like this, love mm -hmm. this story, and love this movie. Yeah. I don't. I come at Barbara Gordon having read all 50 years of her adventures from when she first appeared and on the television show as well in, as in the books. This has taken a book that to me was completely vile to begin with and managed to make it worse because they have emphasized all the horrible aspects from Killing Joke and drawn it backwards into this other story. She's supposedly been with Batman for three years training. She is an abysmal superhero yeah. <laughs> who gets the snot kicked out of her by a regular guy. Mm -hmm. Gassed, tricked, fooled. She's come on to by this fella and she falls for it. Where's the Barbara Gordon who was the great detective that we saw in, in, in those detective comics or even in year one? That character is gone completely. There's a line that, that Batman says to her when she's falling for this Paris Franz. Oh, what a great pun. God. Yeah. 
That's his name. He's, yes. Yeah. Yep. Well, his name is really Paris, Paris Francesco, but he calls himself Paris Franz. That's incredible. Right. In like Batman, the worst way possible. <laughs> right. Batman says to, to, to Batgirl, he's objectified you. And she sort of is argue against that. Now, to me, well, what's that line? Is, is that Batman saying this? Is this now the writers saying it to each other? Because they've certainly objectified her here. Mm-hmm. The artwork continually objectifies her because it shows her from the back, from her tukus, is yeah. the phrase in Yiddish. Or we, we sh- we, they make sure that to show shots of the bat emblem stretched across her chest in some ridiculous grapefruit way. Or even shirtless. Or even shirtless. In her moment, <gasps> when she jumps Batman's yeah. bones, mm-hmm. right, she gets up, takes off her mask. Look, this is a city where she was seen early on spying on Gordon and Batman. So she takes off her mask in the middle of nowhere. We have prostitutes galore dressing up as Batgirl. We get to the Joker dealing with, with the, oh, we haven't seen him around. He usually comes and pays for us. <laughs> it, it, hmm. It's just hideous at every level. Yeah, but it was just sex for God's sakes. Yeah. This is Barbara Gordon talking. This is not that. And I'm, I, I'm, I understand we get a post-credit sequence where, oh, look, she's going to get to be Oracle. Congratulations. It, yeah, it's it's, it's already all down the drain, and and as people are, are commenting all over the all over the internet, where people, the Mary Sue, were saying, you know, you know Barbara has no uh, discerning individual characteristics. She's in this as she was in the Killing Joke itself to be a plot point that we can throw away. It's it's Kelly Sue sexy lamp. Mm-hmm. There's no reason for her to be in there. You could have it didn't have to even be Barbara Gordon. It would it would be horrible if you did this to any character. In this, as a throwaway, a character with this history with, with, with the Batman family, the creepiness of every little version and every angle of this relationship, it's the mentor-student. The father-daughter kind of? Father-daughter. Because <laughs> Batman's closer friend, to Jim. <laughs> right, the best friend of your daughter and you're, you're this and it's not even he pushes her away. It's what well, he doesn't call. So, yeah. he, so she's now wounded, crippled. Her life has changed, and he doesn't call her either. And told that she's not an equal. Right. Yeah. So where does all this put this relationship except abusive from Batman to, to Batgirl? Yeah. Horrible. Jesus. Just absolutely horrible. Steve, go. <laughs> I'm getting ahead. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> all right. Um, so I've got, I've got negative and positive. So there are some positives. There yeah, are. I, I, it's there, only it's, 76 minutes long. That was a huge <laughs> positive. And that, go ahead. I'm sorry. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the negative first because I just I want to voice my opinion and get it out of the way and then end with something positive. Um, okay, so the first half hour, 40 minutes of this, uh, I just personally did not see what the value add to the story and especially to the character of Barbara Gordon who hasn't starred in one of these major DC animated films this is kind of like her first time out kind of thing. And this was an opportunity to make her awesome and, and have her be a really cool hero and have her be like, you're going to take this story that is people are very divided on the story and you're going to take an extra half hour to build up Batgirl. That's what you said. Those were your intentions. That's what you were going to do. And then you came up with what we got 
And beyond the bat sex, because that's a whole thing in and of itself that I'm I'm not even going to touch right now. The content that is there for that half hour makes Barbara look weak and inadequate as a hero. And I just don't understand why that's the foot that you want to lead on when you're trying to bolster this character for the sake of this classic story. And kind of the reasoning that I was getting when reading some of these articles was like, we wanted the moment when she got shot to be more shocking to audience members that might not have read the story. So this failed example of a hero who I've heard time and time again is amazing. And then you portray her this way, a petulant teenager, and that's supposed to beef up anyway. So I thought I was very confused about that. Um, and I just nitpicks aside. I don't think that it it served the story well. I don't. She's a very small part of that. I would have liked more background in like the Joker's dealings, his uh, you know descent into madness. Maybe fill in some of those gaps. Maybe bounce around a little bit. But don't. I I don't know. It, it was it was very very frustrating uh, for me. I love the Batgirl character. And hearing some of the responses, people laughing in theaters, uh, people that don't know the story, that this is their version of it now, mm-hmm. that it's, it's painting this character in a terrible, terrible light. Uh, some of the stuff that was said between the, the time of the month thing, uh, her not being equal with Batman. I tried kind of unpacking this for myself, and I found myself saying in some instances, like these things that Batman is saying to her – he would say to someone like a Dick Grayson or a Damien character, if you know the, the the characters were substituted for one another, that it's not just because it's Barbara. But then when you add in all the the sex related stuff, it just blows that out of the water. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't get it. I don't understand how three people sit in a room, and somebody says, "This is what we should do for the first, you know, forty minutes of this story, or whatever it is," and for all of them to think that this was the right way to go. I'm not yeah. telling you how to write your story. I just, I think, I think it's a huge missed opportunity. Uh, in regard to other stuff, some positive stuff. Uh, regardless of the content of the film, I thought that the voice acting was stellar, uh, particularly from Mark Hamill as the yeah. Joker. I. I know he's played him time and time again, but man, like he really was really, really sick and really twisted in this. And the difference between the cadence of his voice uh, pre Joker and then like that transformation where he's laughing and he's and he's his voice is all gravelly from the chemicals and stuff like that. I I liked that stuff. I thought like uh, Kevin Conroy, Tara Strong. They all they all brought their A game to these characters uh, or this this DC world that they've been, you know, kind of playing around in for a number of years during the animated stuff. Uh, really enjoyed that. And some of the animation I thought was really cool, too, particularly in the uh, like abandoned circus parts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Some of the uh, like cell animation mixed with CGI graphics and particularly the merry-go-round and the horses and it lighting up and all of that stuff against the cell animation looked really, really good and really cool and a step up from some of the other stuff where these DC movies come out and they kind of skimp on that a little bit. 
mm-hmm. because you're you're too busy paying attention to the explosions that they skip and they skip on the backgrounds a little bit and the city is like it's an empty street where they're where they're uh you know there's no busyness to it there's whatever um that stuff i thought was cool and the one thing the one takeaway that i have from the uh killing joke story as a whole that i still enjoy from it is i really really think that the psychological aspect of the joker saying just one bad day can ruin a life is a really really sadistic uh joker plot or motivation or whatever and when you start to dig into Batman coming to him at the beginning and sitting down with him in the cell and trying to figure things out, and he's not even there because he's prepping to pull like his most disgusting act probably ever in his in his career with, with Batman. And uh, I don't know. I, I can't help but find some of the psychological stuff fascinating about the story. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it's a shame that the stuff in the beginning – the opportunity to add to the story and make it better than what they added, in my opinion, made the story a lot worse. Yeah, it wasn't good. Um, when I saw it, they showed um, two special features from from the uh, the making of or whatever. So Mark Hamill opened it up talking about um, his his journey with the Joker and, and voice acting in general and, and getting hooked up with the Batman animated series. And he's, he's talking about how he stepped away after the Arkham games and he kind of told him like, well, I'll only come back if you do the killing joke thinking they'll never do it. And then they did it. (laughs) And he's like, well, I guess I have to have to do this. And, you know, talking about the evolution of, of the Joker voice and how the one he did for this movie is obviously drastically different than the animated series because it's a different type of audience, a different type of story and, and things like that. And so they, they filmed, um, couple shots of him with the microphone and and watching him like get into the character and and um cackle and and contort his face to make those those joker lines happen i thought that was really cool and seeing that prior to seeing the movie was awesome Um, the other feature they showed in theater was about the music uh, because there is actually a broadway musical number in the killing joke part of the movie (laughs) yep in, in the carnival where, where Joker is just singing a song about being loony, letting go, going psychotic, snapping, all that kind of stuff. And Does he sing Let It Go from Frozen? I'd die. <laughs> <laughs> it would make sense. It would be in character for him to start singing, you know, Disney songs while, you know, Joker gassing people around him. Um, <laughs> let it go. Let it go. Um, let the jo- nice. Joker gas go. Um, and so they're talking about adapting this, the lyrics in the book to a song, making it sadistic, bringing in the Broadway element where it's kind of like jazzy and a chorus line of, of freaks behind them and, and that kind of stuff. And, um, and then they showed Mark Hamill as himself in front of a microphone singing the song <laughs> and, and, and things like that. So, I mean, it was, it was cool and you can kind of see like the movie was a labor of love for a lot of people that they really believed in what they were doing and, and thought they were doing something good so the killing joke adaptation itself was good i thought um based on yeah. based on the graphic novel and based on what the source material was they did it justice from that point to the end the prologue yeah. part was just trash 
for me. That would be that would be how I would sum it up as well. Yeah. So I think wow. if I ever watch it again, I'm just skipping the beginning and just watching mm-hmm. the last 45 minutes and then special features. Were you, Mara, were you like me when you were watching it at the end when they, they have that iconic scene of him and the Joker at the end and they're laughing and the whole, you know, does he or does he not kill the Joker? Like I was leaning in listening for for the the split in the laughter to hear when one stopped and one kept going yeah but there was no there was absolutely no like movement off camera a joker like he like batman lifts him up and he stays that way for the for the remainder of the shot and the rain's coming down and whatever Mm -hmm. and um i liked that they they kept it ambiguous and they didn't try to you know, put a new spin on it, like he really did it, kids, or a, or a snap sound, or or something that would indicate somebody's death. Um, Superman just comes in and does it himself right at the end. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's it. That's that's. that's I it. had to. He's like, I'm sick to. and tired of your y'all's cat yeah. and mouse Martha. game. I'll I'll do it. I'll do that, it. Wonder, Wonder Woman shows gonna... up and she's like, guys, this is this is not good. I'm taking Barbara to Themyscira. Yeah. <laughs> The Purple Ray. <laughs> yep. I'd read it. that book. I would too. It makes sense. Like, you know, rehabilitation and, and stuff like that. So, um, again, this is a movie that a lot of people were looking forward to. Um, I haven't seen a lot of people over the moon about it. I've seen a lot more reactions of really, really negative reactions. So, I don't know. I've I paid seen- to see it. So. I've seen about two or three like ultra positive reactions okay. Okay. to it. So, I mean, hey, you know, if if it's what you were looking for and you enjoyed it, that's awesome. That's you know, it's what people are hoping for when they make these things. But it's not going to be for everybody. No, not going to be for a lot of people. Yeah. No. So, no. Um, so yeah, that's that's our our summary review of <laughs> the Killing Joke. So. Uh, let's talk about something happy. Brie Larson, Captain Marvel. Oh, yay! Oh my gosh, my heart. I forgot that we were going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you have to, you know, the killing joke is such a bummer. You have to follow it up with something that's just super happy. And Brie Larson as Captain Marvel to me is super happy. So she's super happy. She is so, yeah. so sweet looking. And everything she's in, I like. So, I don't know. Anyone has any? I don't know that I've ever seen her in anything. Did you watch United States of Tara? No. Okay. Did you watch? She was in uh, Scott Pilgrim. Who was she in Scott Pilgrim? In the Adams. Who? In the Adams, the singer Scott's ex. Oh. Hello, my friend. Friend of something. Did you see Room? This past no, year, I didn't. I heard room? that was actually. Oh, I have, I have that at home. I just took it out from the library to get a look at it. It's good. She Brie Larson is so awesome. When uh, there was rumored that she was going to be um, Carol uh, a couple of months ago, and even then, I was like, "That's that's a great choice." She is she is young, mm-hmm. uh, and Kelly Sue DeConnick was like, "And she is shorter than I would have liked." <laughs> um, but but I think that. You know, um, I think Bob, you shared that that Vanity Fair article with us, right? The, yes. The, mm-hmm. um, and you know, Kelly Sue DeConnick said something really interesting. It's like we don't we don't necessarily know. For those of you that are kind of questioning the age or, or whatever, you know, we don't necessarily know where where Carol is in the story. We don't know where she's going to be if she's just starting out or whatever. Um, 
But I think that what you're getting with Brie Larson is someone who, first of all, at this stage in her career, has already established herself. So she won an Academy Award this past year, you know, like such a such a rising star in the industry. Um, and for Marvel to kind of snatch her up is such a such a coup. Um, and she just has this this air to her and this this charm and this charisma to her performance that I just I'm so excited to see her um, capture both the strength of Carol, but also the kind of. The, the complexity and the nuance of her too. Um, I think it's a great choice. I think she's so cool. And I think that why it's such a happy announcement isn't necessarily because of the announcement, but because of like the outpouring of joy on the internet after it was official. Um, that, that really just got me pumped too. You know, um, Brie Larson like tweeted out a picture of herself and was just like, call me the captain. And I was like, yes, I will. You know, like <laughs> do it. Yeah, as a business thing, having the Academy Award winner in your project brings a lot of eyes to that. As mm-hmm. we, you know, I had mentioned when there were some other rumors flying around about some big name actresses, this is in that class. It's wow, just as you're saying, Joey, this is someone whose career is as hot as it can be right now. And on her IMDb page, it's not going to say Captain Marvel. Yeah. And that's good. Now, yeah. Would would the world have broken if they had cast a forty year old actress in this? Charlize Theron. I would have loved. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kelly Sue in that article mentions that her dream cast for Captain Marvel would have been Kathleen Turner, circa nineteen eighty three. Mm. That's what's in amazing. her head as she's writing was writing the book. And so, but just as she said, also, we don't know where in Carol's career, is she now a captain where maybe she could be 28 years old and not have to have been in the, in the service for 10 odd years and worked her way up to being colonel. Mm-hmm. I, I, now it's, it's going to become very, very critical that the script is proper. You know, there's really out there and, and, and we, we play up the strengths of these characters because now you don't have the age thing to fall back on. Yeah. Where you could look at an older woman and say, okay, she has this life experience because I can see it on her. She's gotten some mileage. There's someone mature there. Now that's wow. going to have to be in her words and deeds and actions and everything else in that. So it has to be a performance and script thing together that have to going to sell this to everyone. Mm-hmm. I can't wait till you watch Room, Bob. <laughs> I can't wait till you watch Room. I mean, even I've seen Room. I don't watch movies. <laughs> she is 26 years old uh, and evidently a musician. She plays guitar and vocals for a pop rock band. She's so cool. I would be very curious to hear that. So she should be oh. playing Spider-Gwen. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. Here's the thing about Captain Marvel, the film, like... I, of all the movies that they have lined up, I really don't know where they're going with it. I don't know if they're going to do Carol Danvers on Earth, joining the Air Force, working her way up there. I don't know if they're going to do, let's go to space, man. Like, it, like they could literally go anywhere with this. Maybe you know? we'll get a better picture after Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Interesting. Like maybe we'll, we'll get some Kree hmm. names dropped or, or something. Like on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., man. Those Kree well, showing yeah. up. Yeah, I thought that was going to happen when they started showing Kree artifacts and blue people that they were going to go with that. 
since they had the Inhumans in play already. Maybe. They're separate. Maybe. Yeah. TV and movies are separate. Let's, let's I think it's great. move into some open discussion books. Um, I forgot all about those. Yeah, we got some. <laughs> we got more talk, t- comics to talk about if you guys want. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Um, let's start with let's start with uh, Black Hammer, number one. Yeah. Steve. Me. Um, if you guys want to check it out, I did a – I wrote a review for the first Ooh, time in a yeah. long time. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's a great uh, review. Oh, you read it? Yeah, man, of course. <laughs> yeah, I, I my reviews are always weird. They always go off. Yeah, but you do this great thing here. where you put like you put like the music at the end that you were listening to. I love that. That's such a nice yeah. little feature. I do love doing that. I've been finding a lot of uh, really great music these past couple of weeks. Uh, but anyway, Black Hammer is from uh, from Dark Horse, and it is Jeff Lemire. If my iPad would. Uh, do its thing. Uh, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Dean Orston, and colors by Dave Stewart. So uh, what you have here is kind of this like pulpy, outback, farmland mystery about this family of superheroes. They're, they were once a team. Uh, their city was attacked, and in the like, this huge epic city battle, uh, one of their comrades, the Black Hammer, passed away. And there was something about his sacrifice and something about what happened that day, and this is kind of the mystery part of the book, uh, that caused the rest of the team to go away, to hide themselves away from the rest of society, basically faking their death and winding up in this little farm town where they've been living for 10 years. And uh, it seems as though a couple of them are getting restless. They're not really satisfied with how things have uh have wound up and they want to go off and explore but what they don't know is that forces beyond their sight might have something to say about where they are and what they're doing i'm just gonna leave it at that as to not blow the whole thing uh but i i really i mean i wrote in the review and i'll say it on the podcast this i felt this was a really really strong beginning uh we talk a lot about jeff lemire on the podcast and where we kind of are comfortable with him and like him the most. And for me, just when he's off doing his own thing, his own weird thing is when I, I love him the most. It's a very uh, like quiet, emotional book as well. There's weight to it. There's a, like, there's a sense of, of family and a sense of unity, but there's also a strong sense of dissension in some of the characters. And the conversations they're having and, and some of the, like the, the questions that they're posing to one another about their, um, damn, what's the word that I'm looking for when you, when you go, your their seclusion, huh. uh, their seclusion from, from the rest of the world and, uh, what it means to not be heroes anymore. Yeah. And it's not, it's not like a, it's not a superhero dissection piece, but it's, um, I don't know, Joey. Joey, what do you? What did you think of it? I'm kind of losing myself here. <laughs> no, I, I I totally agree with a lot of what you're saying. Like, the, um, starting with the fact that I, I I agree. I think like this is where I like Lemire the most, you know. And even though he didn't do the artwork, it feels like yeah, Lemire mm-hmm. art. You know, it has that weight to it. It has that that moodiness to it, that eeriness mm-hmm. to it. Um, 
I think that. Funny, added to that. Let me just jump in. I'm looking at yeah. it on Steve's iPad here. It's in a. Now, who's the artist again? Uh, Dean Orston. Okay, I don't know his work, but it is a very classic grid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it looks That's very much that. like the old EC horror and science fiction comics, you know, the Wally yeah. Wood and sort of. So it, it's it it has that classic look, but it with the new colors. Yeah, it brings it a a real vibrancy. And mood that's yeah. Now here's a panel of it's there. The old days of being a hero, and it's bright fifty sort of pastels almost. Or and yeah, mm-hmm. and yet later on, it's ooh, it's creepy. It's gotten creepy, folks. Yeah, There's it looks great. Like the the thing that Lemire does best. Some of the books that sorry does best. The, some of the books that I love the most that he does are those kind of like rural noir, those very rustic kind of like let's go back. But there's there's that edge to it, you know, and that darkness to it. And he's so good at teasing that out. And I think the book does a really great job of that through some of the things that you're talking about, Steve. The kind of psychological impact of seclusion, of guilt, of wanting that life that you had. I think right. the one, the great character, the young girl who, you know, it's kind of ambiguous, but used to be an adult. And now because of oh, the yeah, sacrifices, still it's, <laughs> yeah, there's something about this book that like, it's just first issue, but like, we're still missing a lot. And I'm, I'm so wrapped. I want to, I want to know, I want to know what the situation was. I want to know how they got here. I want to know where they want to go. Right. Um, I don't know if this is dimensional. I kind of got that vibe. I don't know if this is some other like plane of existence. I don't know if this is just some other oh. town. Like it's just so twilight zone kind of. Yeah. 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 Wow. It's, it's, like I'm, I'm interested enough in the mystery and what's going on and what happened at the Battle of Spiral City and stuff like that. But what I'm more interested in is the characters. Yeah. Like individually, I want to know what their deals are. Like there's this robot character that is like, – he's building something in the barn. And we don't – because we don't know him. It's only the first issue. We don't know if we can trust him. They all seem to trust him. But there's really – not we don't know what it is that he's building. We don't know if he's going to turn it on and it's going to explode and and send all kinds of law enforcement to their to their farm and blow their whole deal. Um, there's this other character that kind of phases in and out of existence and reality. He he visits uh, this dimension, but he's also got kind of like superhero Alzheimer's from making so many trips back and forth. And I'm like, they all appear to be changed that I'm wondering if when whatever happened, happened that day that he was in like mid phase mm-hmm. and something happened and he snapped because he's, he's talking to a character and they're having a whole conversation. And then at the end of the conversation, he starts the conversation over again. Like they never had it. Yeah. Mm. And I super, like even the townsfolk, are interesting. There's this creepy ass priest that they introduce. There's uh, you know, ass munch sure. law enforcement character. Yeah. The diner uh, lady. Yeah. Cannot yeah. remember her name, but she uh, seemed nice. I liked her. Madam whatever her face, uh like the one character that we really don't get to see. She's kind of off in the in the swamp or the trees or whatever, kind of in, you know, secluded herself from the rest of the group. And uh just a lot of cool, weird, like Hellboy ishness stuff mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. Um, Mara, you you read it, correct? I did. It was actually the comic I read right before we started recording. Um, it was what I expected, which was something weird and intriguing, and also a little bit slower paced. Um, mm. So I'm I'm real excited. I I can't wait to read more about it. I like the cliffhanger at the end. 
and getting to know more about the black hammer and and who it's attached to Mm. so um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at some of the hero shots that's the robot guy you're yeah. talking about right? uh this is no this oh, is the, um, no, the other guy with Abraham the glass Slam. helmet on oh yeah it does anyone remember the original doom patrol oh, i've seen oh yeah well, we've got robot man negative man who was a sort of negative energy character within another body who sort of flew around and we had then elastigirl and then the chief, but I, I, there's some vibe of that too, which was a really great book in its time in the '60s. So yeah, it, it's for those people who love superheroes, they're there too in this, and a nice little homage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Parazone. That's the, yeah. uh, that's okay. the, the weird dimension that he's kind of hanging yeah. out in. Uh, how many issues is this? Is just this one. A- it just started this past Wednesday. Okay. Yeah, I don't know how many. Be an ongoing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Um, another new comic I want to hit on is Snot Girl. Snot yeah. Girl! <laughs> oh, God. So good. So good. Snot Girl. Yeah. So, Joey, tell us, tell us about Snot Girl. All right. Let me just start by saying that this was like the book of the week for me. Okay. <laughs> it was one of the strongest first issues I've read all year, period. Just like yep. straight up. I loved it so much. Um, Brian Lee O'Malley mentioned Scott Pilgrim before. Uh, Leslie Hong did the, the art. And Mickey Quinn um, did the colors, who also did the colors for Jonesy, which I also love this year. Uh-huh. Um, she's so cool, Mickey Quinn. Anyway, um, so uh, Snot Girl number one, Lottie Person. Is our main character. She's a fashion blogger who tries desperately to cultivate that kind of perfect digital identity. In real life, however, she's a literal hot mess, right? Because of her allergies and because of her friends and all of that. Um, She's having a bit of a quarter life crisis as she kind of debates, you know, her relationships, her life progress, what it means to have what her friends are, who her friends are and and this identity that she has um, trying to negotiate, you know, her digital life, her real her quote unquote real life and which one is the reality she wants. Um, And she meets someone in the in the book. And the first issue, um, and then we have this crazy cliffhanger ending that I was totally, totally Dude. unexpected. Dude. It's funny, it's gripping, it's innovative. Um, the cliffhanger, literally, I like stood up and like I walked around my apartment. I was like, I can't, I don't know what just happened. <laughs> back a couple of pages, I was like, did this happen? And then it did happen, and I was like, I don't even know. I don't even know what's going on. This book was wild. I can't even. I can't even. Yeah. What what I liked most about it is um it's an image book that doesn't appear to be a science fiction story or Refreshing. or a fantasy story. Um so it it seems to be more of that slice of life real life kind of drama but from one of those like young 20s blogger internet people, which is really interesting to me because um like uh, I, I sent you guys a picture earlier, but there's a girl I went to grad school with for school psychology who's totally a fashion blogger now. Oh, and huh? it just it's just one of those things I'm like, what happened? Like, how did you get <laughs> <laughs> how did you get to this point? Like, and how did you get so many followers on Instagram? What what happened in your life? So I, I'm invested in, in that way. And then I also want to bring up um, the the ideal versus actual selves. Right. That, that are present yeah. in this in this book, and when you look at from a psychological perspective, if you have that incongruence between who you are and who you want to be, there's a lot of distress that comes with it, and um, 
we definitely see that in in Lottie, who you know the the allergies, the snot, and the persona mm-hmm. she wants to have, and how unhappy and unsatisfied she is in general. So, indeed, yeah, great, great book, great first first um, issue. Can I, can I actually say a few things about it? Go for it. Okay. Uh, first of all, I want to echo what Joey said as far as being one of the most impressive uh, number ones of the year. I positively loved every single page of this book. But I'm wondering if anybody caught on to some of the some of the things that, that I did. Did anybody else find the, the book like towards the middle and – into the end to be really dark at uh, all dark like, dark like star trek beyond but shot in dark caves or dark no, like, no, the black no, hammer no. Like, was dark. I, are we we're not i don't want to i don't really necessarily want to talk spoilers but it, it aspects of the book kind of reminded me of the uh the wicked of the divine uh issue about like internet behavior oh, and yeah. bullying and stuff like that where like Mara was saying, the psychological uh, beats or, or aspects of the book where, you know, when you're on, well, most, some people, I won't say all people, when, when, when you're online, right, you have your kind of your online persona and then you have you. I mean, I, I tweet things and either delete them immediately or erase them and don't even put them up all the time just because not everybody needs to know everything that goes through my head and sometimes that stuff is negative and i just don't want to be that person like i i tweet it out and i look at it and i'm like do i really do i want to be that guy no i really don't good for you and i'll take it down i try i don't always get it right but i try and you know one of the things with doing the the podcasts and doing the shows and even sometimes working for joe blow where i've ran into a couple of people while working that read my column and stuff like that is the people are not always who they are online. Now, I know that, duh, a lot of people know that. But just on a more personal level, like people usually, especially people that have like the public eye or a lot of followers and stuff like that, you have to be very vigilant about what you say and who you put yourself out there to be. Because if you say even one thing that people don't respond well to, they they start to get – they start to bury you because if anything – People like to do what their heroes more is they like to see them fall. Oh, yeah. Build them up, tear them down. Right. And with Lottie's situation, you know, she is one of the top uh, bloggers in her field, but she's having, like, like Joey said, a quarter life crisis going on. And I'm almost wondering if there's almost a like fight clubby thing going on in this book (laughs) i totally get what you're saying man and like i was just flipping back through it and you even see the word balloons going a little bit askew yeah you know a little bit i think and then obviously the, the 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 ending to the book i think like but i think that 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 spirals out of the the debate that's raging in her own head about who she is and how right. these two people operate, you know, and and you know she she gets that new medicine for her allergies and who knows what the mix is there. I think like right. a lot of the things that you're talking about is what makes this first issue so effective. You know, you mm-hmm. open with this kind of like you open with a fairly dark scene, 
you know, with, yeah. with yeah. her alone in her room. And then, it, and then it flashes to the bright colors and the, you know, I'll call her boring girl and cool and nerd girl and yeah. all this, like, it's fun. And there's the Instagrams are popping out of the page, which I think was so brilliantly illustrated. But then as the book goes on, it, it does get a little bit more twisted and then it builds to that, that climax. And I think that's how, that's how I got hooked, you know, yeah. like I yeah. want issue two for that reason. Like, how did it get to this place? How does she get to where she is on that first page? Right. You know, you almost so forget me, that the first page is there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like, let me just pose this to you. If you want to read it again, read it again. But what if cool girl or Caroline, like what if she is Lottie's Tyler Durden? <laughs> you just broke Joey. I'm just saying, I'm just saying there are things I'm not, I'm not really spoiling anything because there you'll see, just read, just read the book. Mm. But I, I'm just, I'm questioning as to whether or not this is a character or this is a projection. Because if you look, I kind of go back to the whole uh, sixth sense thing where I'm watching for other characters to interact with someone and they're not. Mm-hmm. And it's so. This oh is her God. idealized version. Yeah, she's of cool girl. She because is cool girl. girl wants yeah. to be cool, and then she bumps into this girl that nobody else really interacts with. And I just, I couldn't help but feel that there's, there's a lot of psychological stop. stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm looking stop. over Steve's shoulder, stop. and I can, I, you know. I think that's a great. You could read it that way, whether yeah. it's that's, the way they they wrote it or not. You can yeah. read it that way. So that's, that's the great. way that I read it. Yeah, there's something something happens <laughs> in the last like two or three pages that I will not say that, but something really tipped me off as to my my theory uh, about this book. Um, Joey's investigating. Yeah, I can see it. <laughs> Stop! I can't I, even I, right now. Like my that, gut just like dropped and like. <laughs> I, well, I mean, I wouldn't put it past them. I mean, you guys read uh, Seconds, right? Yeah. yeah man. I mean, that. Loved it. But, like, even if I'm wrong, like, even if I'm wrong, and I, I might be, even if I'm wrong, what a cool idea to just have floating around in your head for the next 30 days or whatever yeah. until maybe we get a little bit more clarification. Uh, like, I like it. These things are supposed <laughs> to be fun, right? Like, right. that's, to me, that's and fun. And thought-provoking and everything right. else, right? Right. So. Love it. Joey's like reading the whole book again. I'm back. reading the whole book right now. All right. Okay. I got to, I got to close this before I just start pulling the Joey there and rereading it on air. Um, Bye guys. Yes. Oh, I definitely need to read snot girl a couple more times now that you've put that in my head because I just assumed, Hey, she made a new friend and the friend happened. She says the medication's new. Well, she doesn't yeah. know how it's affecting her yet. Like, there's so much going on. <laughs> she, she, in quotes, she made a new friend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yo, if you're not subscribing to Patreon just to see Joey's reactions on yes. camera, <laughs> after next week, it is worth the price of admission. Like, I'm deflecting. I'm deflecting the bullets. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's move on to an- another new book that came out. Um, Batgirl and the Birds of Prey Rebirth. Uh, so this is one that Bob wanted to bring up this week. Yeah. So so it's it's interesting. I'll just leave it at that. There are some changes. <laughs> yeah. In in some ways, there are also bits and pieces of it. Seems all of DC continuity. It's almost like the Grant Morrison multiversity book where everything can be. Now we have. 
a Barbara who's gone through the things she has, and at the very end of the Batgirl or Burnside run, uh, Brendan Fletcher, Cameron Stewart, Babs Tarr, sort of put out there the idea that, well, the whole killing joke thing might have been a false memory implanted into Barbara as part of the chip that gave her her ability to walk again. Mm -hmm. And they were having fun playing with that on the internet. Look what we did. Hmm? Yeah. And that's off the table. We're we're back to that again, so we're going to have to reference that, which does bring us to what is the core of this story is that, yes, Barbara was Oracle, was part of a Birds of Prey team with the Black Canary because she needed a, an operative. So they've been apart. But now there's apparently someone else who's saying that they're Oracle. So she needs to call in the A-team, which in this case is Dinah. It seems as if they've had some time apart. Diana has been in the band, so we, we bring in the Black Canary from the New 52. We have some of the post-traumatic stress idea that Gail had in her Batgirl run. So, again, a lot of stuff to pick and choose from. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be interesting to see where we go from there. I'm such a huge fan of what the original Birds of Prey idea was that I'm going to have to be sold I'm in for at least another issue. We've got a very angry Huntress. Yeah. I mean, they're Which, all kind of angry, to be honest. Yeah. In this their is own true. way. But Huntress, I mean, takes the cake <laughs> yeah. on being angry. But I don't know. It's, it's just kind of one of those things where I, I don't. If the Birds of Prey team book, their dynamics started out closer to what we saw in Detective Comics. Where, yes, sir. Yeah, yes. Th- there was some, you know, like, all right, this is weird. I don't know if I want to work with you, but we're going to do it anyway because it needs to be done. And in building up that camaraderie between characters, it would have been better. But instead, it was kind of the default rah, cat fight yeah. kind of stuff, mm-hmm. which I've seen that before. Mm-hmm. I'm, right. I'm yeah, over I'm it. Happy, right. I'm happy we've restored Oracle and mm-hmm. that it's Barbara, but that we have to take in all this other baggage to go with it. Yeah. Spoils it a little bit. Spoils the party. Yeah. Mm. But, you know, the, these rebirth issues, you know, just one of those things where it's yeah. just supposed to be kind of like a, a a quick intro. But as we've seen with the other ones, it's usually the, the first issue that gives us the true tone of the book moving forward. So it, it was one of those things where I don't think I'm going to read it again. So... Yeah, um, I, I think I will just because of what you're saying, Mara. I'll try the regular issue mm-hmm. and I'll go from there. I'm concerned we have today a new Batgirl. Yeah. The start of that storyline today, which I'm not entirely on board with. Yeah. Uh, it's a prequel to this. So we don't, you know, we sort of know where we're going to end up before we even start. Mm-hmm. So. Here's the thing. We, we long ago discussed Gail Simone's Batgirl and how that all came about, where she wanted to make sure if someone was going to handle the Barbara Gordon story, it was going to be her. If they were going to bring her back to being Batgirl and put her back in, in the cowl and so on. Yeah. Having spoken to Gail, we did a lovely interview with her some, a couple of years ago. She had wanted Barbara's arc to be different and lighter and she could smile and experience some niceties and 
events kept getting in the way and they wanted angst and all the rest of it and it, it she could never find that sweet spot so when we had the Batgirl of Burnside it was oh Barbara gets to smile yeah and I felt so good for that and so this this hurts in a little way it's backtracking yeah. based on this one issue and um it was just kind of one of those things where I almost dug out my Batgirl of Burnside comics. Um, they're just in the long box. It's a little bit hard to get into. So that's why, right. yeah. <laughs> that's why I couldn't access them very, very quickly. But it, it was one where after I read this issue, I was like, Hmm, this is different than, than what I was hoping. So um, a, a bit of a letdown, but not one that's going to drive me away from the book immediately. So, exactly. So um, what about Hellcat? Uh, Joey, do you want to, do you want to take the lead on this and I'll, I'll um, fill in or how do you want to do this? Sure. I, it's Picard number eight is what it was, right? Picard number yep. eight. Yep. Um, Patsy Walker, Hellcat. Uh, this is the fallout from civil war two, right? Um, which, uh, well, it's been a couple of months now. She Hulk is one of the early, uh, casualties. We don't necessarily know what her, her status is in the main series yet, but um, Jen and Patsy obviously are very close. And and what we get here in number eight is Patsy's reaction to that. She tries to find Jen. Um, she goes out with some of her friends, and they kind of you know reminisce and and think about Jen, and and we get some flashbacks to some really remarkable moments. It's a moving, emotional issue, um, but still a lot of fun. Um, there's still some really wonderful moments in in this book too. Um, this book with Power Man and Iron Fist, I think that what they've done with the Civil War two tie in has been so good. I love these two books so much because they are so dynamic, different, and they have their own identity. And I'm so glad that the the Poicat team was able to hold on to that identity in this issue, um, in how they handled the 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 tie in to Civil War two and and the status with with She Hulk. Um, Bob, I'm sure it impacted you as well. Oh, it's I, by the way, it's Kate Leth, uh, Brittany Williams, the regular team, Rachel Rosenberg on colors. Just yep. an emotional roller coaster. I when I saw the cover in the solicitations, I was in tears. There's a, it's, it's a bunch of photos of the two of them together, and there's this little button, number one pal. And I'm tearing up as I, as I say that. You know, Patsy is feeling lost, alone. Her friend is gone, goes to the Triskelion headquarters or whatever it is to see her. She's sitting in the bed next to her. She goes to leave. Dream of sweet things, Jen. I'll be back for you. Hmm. And it is just, you know, superheroes, they pal around, they do stuff. This is friends. And it's on every page and every panel, every drawing as they smile at each other, they share moments. Uh, Jen says to her at one point in, in their pizzeria flashback sort of thing, you know, if you ever, if you ever want to talk about what's going on, I'm here. And, and now she's not. Hmm. And that hole is felt, and you can feel it in Patsy as she tries to put things back together, sort of Jen would want, creates her own new little team out of the remnants of what was in the office building that, that Jen was occupying, the landlady and Howard the Duck and the whole mess of it. And this is one of the things, just as you're saying, Joey, that carved out its own little corner in what's in this Civil War thing. 
yes, it's the big issues of do are we profiling? Can you can you trust that the future is going to be what everyone's what Ulysses says it is and what we think it might be and alternate futures and all the rest of it? No, it's about these people. So yeah. when it was Luke saying, "I'm sitting this one out. I've had enough of this heroes fight and hero stuff." And now here's the cost of what happens, and it, it, it's just affecting. It's just super, super affecting, and if, if people just picked this up and looked at it, oh, it's sort of, it's this lighter, cartoony side of the Marvel Universe, nah, this one hit home. Yeah. It really hit home for me. And one of the best panels with that, that alley, alley-oop moment yes. in, in this yes. book is one of the is one of the, and that's the thing like you everything that bob is saying about the the emotional impact of this book is 100 percent accurate from from the from the get-go um all the way to the, the final pages um but then you have a moment like that and it's like just so expertly crafted from from top to bottom um i i hope this book goes on forever because i want to read it forever yeah. you know it's just so it's so wonderful and i'm so glad that they were able to do this with this character yeah Awesome. Um, Steve. Yeah. Do you, you, I'm going to give you a choice here. Do you want to talk about Limbo Volume 1 or Civil War 2? Um, I mean, my thoughts on Civil War 2 are, are super short. Okay. So or the discipline. To... Oh, boy. Oh, I got choices. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, you know what? Maybe I'll save my limbo talk for uh, for another day because okay. I, I just finished it up and it's something that I really, really want to – I want people to read it okay. really, really bad because as far as limited series for the year, it is wild. One of those comics Ooh. where like somebody sat down and made a comic that was you felt was just for you. Limbo? Nice. Yeah. Okay. So, but yeah, – I just wrote um, it down. Let's talk, uh, Joey. You and I. Let's talk about the discipline for a minute. Yeah, I want to hear about this book. I want to know why. I, I don't know. It's so naughty. Tell me. <laughs> it is so here, here. Let me. I, I got a little thing that I that I wrote for it. Okay. Hey, we talked about Sunstone. We, we did. I'm going to mention Sunstone oh, okay. when I talk about the discipline. All right. So, uh, the discipline is a creepy comic about a. Why is somebody trying to call me right now? And I'm trying to use my phone. <laughs> is it Bobby? Is it Bobby Shortall? No, it's, it's not. Like, like, you guys are going on don't, too long. Don't talk about it. <laughs> Wrap it up, B. Uh, creepy. Okay. The discipline is a creepy comic about a woman who's being ushered into an ancient and secret sex cult by a dark and mysterious stranger. Uh, as we travel further down the rabbit hole, we come to discover sexual deities, monsters, and demons are living among us. And as Joey's one of the chosen, the it's time to choose a side. <gasps> so that's great already. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's Peter Milligan. Uh, writer Ecstatics that you you mentioned uh, off air, Joey, and uh, I'm trying. I'm gonna grab the uh, the artist over here. But how many uh, issues in are they so far? It's four what? issues in so far, and uh, it's wow. Leonardo uh, Leandro Fernandez. Leandro. Yes, and uh, so I mean, in my estimation, it's a it's a first of all, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's very racy, but like it, it you're exploring different corners of sexual desire, like different cults, and you're dealing with gods of sexual acts. So you're going to see, you know, or creatures of sexual acts. You're seeing strange practices and strange things. It doesn't have like the care and sensitivity 
of Sunstone, um, but it's also dealing with fantasy, right? It's not dealing with with real mm-hmm. people. I mean, she's it's a real not, person. It's not a romance, right? Right. Uh, right. It's, it's not a, a romance. It's a horror. It's a horror comic in a yeah. lot of ways. Right. But it still manages, I think, anyway, it still manages to respect the source material in its own way. And it never, it's never about spectacle. Like the sex is never about spectacle and it's about story. And it's about pushing this woman further and further along so that she can be who they need her to be when the time comes. Right. So go ahead, Joe. You want to? Yeah, and I was just going to say, kind of ending that point about like it's not about the you know spectacle of the, the the sex of it, you know, because once they get into those situations and they turn into the monsters, these monsters are like the most gruesome looking things. Like there's like the one side look like bear cat kind of things, and the other side are like these elongated, <laughs> like aliens. Yeah, these elongated yeah. alien things. So, like, even like the eroticism that you would think would come along with the imagery of this book, they they kick it away immediately as it becomes about the these two cults. Um, and I think part of part of what's so interesting, especially now that we're in like what issue four or five, four, yeah, is uh, is the yeah four the the main character um, the. The who I thought was going to be the kind of romantic lead of the book opposite her is is out of the book. You know, he's he's gone for reasons that I don't want to spoil. But like, it's her story, you know, and it's been her story since since the get go. Yeah, it's a really interesting book. It's a really weird book. Um, and I I don't know. I read that first issue. I actually know Steve. You brought up the first issue. Yeah. On a show. And I was like, that sounds weird. I saw it at the shop. I picked it up. And I was like, you know what? Add it to the list. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see where this goes. Um, and it's ongoing. There's no end. Yeah. It's not a mini series or anything. So Milligan and, and uh, Fernandez are just like, let's do it. Whatever. Whatever goes on, goes on, man. The discipline. Let's make it happen. It is. Um, if I can you know, reduce it to one word, it's very Cronenbergian. Yeah. In a way. Okay. Very. Um, who's the guy that did Lost Highway? David Lynch. Uh, Lynch. Okay, so so a little like a little bit of Lynch, a little yeah. bit of some Cronenberg body horror added. A little yeah. bit of that Rosemary's Baby scene that's really messed up. Mm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, like se- like seventies, eighties horror, like not the popular ones. Mm-hmm. You know, the the B shelf and whatever, and yeah, weird, weird sex cults and secret societies and you know people that are actually monsters that are linked to like the different sexual acts that you know dig down to this this these carnal desires that have power and blah 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 and it's it's neat like it's weird it's, it's really so weird. weird weird but it's neat it's a cool little corner of like another book coming from image that i mean i it's more fantasy than sci-fi i guess there's a little science yeah. fiction in it. it's not well, but I I don't know. I feel like it loose, is like loose yeah. sci-fi. It's, it's like mythology fantasy. Yes, I don't know if I would use the term sci-fi to describe it. I would say it's a horror book. It's a fantasy book. Um, it's not a dystopian science fiction book like a, uh, like the rest of of a lot of what's coming out of the independence. Eyes um, wide shut, cross with wicked and the divine. Yeah. yeah, with a little bit of Fifty Shades in there in okay. a good way. <laughs> We nailed it. Awesome. We nailed should it. write the solicitation um, for next month. It. And also, just to the credit of the artist, the art is also a lot of fun. Very cool. Uh, particularly the, the colors. I should, I should look up the colorist. 
uh, for this book, but um, really like bold, popping uh, art, kind of uh, kind of in the vein of um, when we were talking about Black Hammer earlier yeah. with like like Dave Stewart uh, ish colors. And of course, because I'm trying to find the people that yeah. wrote this yeah. damn thing, it's not going to be where I thought it would be. Yeah, nowhere to be found. Be on the last uh, page. I apologize. Oh, wait. It's Here very angular, like the yes. artwork itself. Uh, Chris Peter on colors and Simon Boland on letters. So awesome. Yeah, it's a weird one. Yeah. So last book I want to bring up. I'm, you know, we haven't talked Star Wars in a while. Like, I don't, I don't <laughs> think we have. <laughs> at least this at least this episode yeah, at least not today <laughs> at least not today star wars uh main title number 21 jason aaron jorge molina I don't nice know. oh and, jorge molina yeah so the main star wars series so far has been following our our three main heroes as you know they have their adventures between a new hope and empire strikes back um, this issue is called the last flight of the harbinger and it is the beginning of a new arc featuring a elite team of stormtroopers. So we are we are shifting our point of view from our heroes of the rebellion to stormtroopers. And um, it follows a particular stormtrooper that we've seen before earlier in the series, Sergeant, Ke- Sergeant Creel, who was on, um, uh, shoot, what's that? Okay, Nar Shaddaa which is the, the smuggler's room moon. And he was the game master where Gracchus the Hutt was making him train Luke Skywalker to defeat a rancor in the pits with a lightsaber that was stolen from previous Jedis. So Sergeant Creel, game master, lightsaber training, stormtrooper. 25 years of Star Wars history in 18 seconds. Love it. <laughs> so Jason Aaron's been doing a lot of really neat things with, um, with the Star Wars universe and, you know, my lighting, if you're watching the video, my lighting's not very good on here, but this elite team of stormtroopers oh, are, oh, cool. I mean, they've got like rocket launchers. They've got, um, like just, they're just crazy good. They're they actually hit things. They are hitting things. <laughs> they are, um, like fighting monsters in the sewers and, and, and things like that. And, um, just like the way that, uh, um, it's presented and we see, um, the potential of stories for stormtroopers coming through it and presented as part of the main star Wars line. I am really excited. I love, um, when we focus on things that are outside of the Jedi in the star Wars universe, because it's so vast and there's so much going on. And that's part of the reason excitement for rogue one and the supplemental star Wars stories coming forward is that we're not relying on the force. We're not relying on, the Skywalker family were broadening our horizons and seeing that in our main Star Wars title that has been previously just mostly about Luke, seeing it about the stormtroopers and why they're with it, the Empire, you know, um, which is another Health thing. Health benefits. Yeah, well, yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also this idea that's been kind of coming up a lot in these books recently, um, the Empire is not always considered evil by people who have been rescued by it Um, because the empire is, you know, cutting down local crime bosses in favor for their control. But what that means is people who were at the mercy of someone who was a slaver or someone who controlled um, a monopoly on, on supplies, all of a sudden they're taken out and, you know, they get rations, they get protection. They, they get to see stormtroopers in their town enforcing order it's 
it's suddenly like their their lives have been completely changed because of the empire and the influence of the empire. So I love that. That's awesome. It's mm. like the emperor was evil, but is the empire evil? Mm. So mm. that was something that was um, in the uh, Princess Leia, or sorry, General Leia um, book recently, <laughs> Bloodline. You know, with the the fall of the empire and whether or not the new rebellion wants to make something like a or new republic wants to make something like an empire going forward from that so star wars 21 a uh, good jumping on point especially if you like empire stuff sweet nice. so uh, i just want to head on a listener question we got real quick i'm not going to read all of it because um it's it's pretty detailed it's from our listener renee and he mentions that uh what's what's up with uh female characters being introduced as male counterparts um pointing out that female thor Riri as Iron Man. If you go even further back, you have Batgirl, Supergirl, <laughs> um, a lot of characters who are spawned off of, of male characters. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things that he brought up, you know, do for new female characters, is that something that we have to do in order to introduce them? So I don't know if that's something you guys have a opinion on. I mean, obviously most superheroes are male and that's what we're, you know, familiar with and introducing a new character, male or female attached to an established character is a lot, you know, probably a lot more successful than just bringing one out out of the blue. Um, but is that something that has to be done with women? Is that something that's typical of introducing a female character? Well, I think it's typical and mm-hmm. that goes back into the 40s. Certainly, we had Doll Man and Doll Girl and Bullet Man and Bullet Girl, and we did all that. Gotham Girl. Yeah, yes. Gotham Girl. <laughs> yeah. And, and as a marketing thing, it certainly makes more sense because as an established brand and you're tacking on to that, and again, Supergirl, Batgirl, certainly. Yeah. Um, I think it's slightly different than overturning a character legacy. It's re- it's related, but not exactly the same. And uh, this is something I may have mentioned on the show already, but John Byrne pointed out over on his website when they're talking about this this particular problem about swapping out characters and so on. He was talking about the new Iron Man. Because he's someone who always tried to make new characters. Within his supporting cast were always people of various ethnicities, body types, ages. and tried very hard to be as representative as he could. Said, look, they make the, they made the, the. You had to have, you, we had Norse gods and had Idris Elba, wonderful actor as Heimdall. In the upcoming movie, we have an African American woman playing Valkyrie. Said, okay, in the Thor movie, instead of doing that, they introduced two brand new characters that people responded to, Eric Selvig, and uh, who's uh, the name of the Cat Dennings character? What's Darcy? Darcy. 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 Why couldn't they have been your diversity characters? You have brand new characters that are well-written, well-crafted, who have now played through other movies. They'd have had just as much screen time as these other people, maybe more, and wouldn't audiences have responded to them as well, and you could have built up a brand for that. So is this now? we have this new character, Mosaic, coming out mm-hmm. in the fall. I really hope this sells... Well, that people respond to this coming out of the, of the civil wars, and we this now maybe changes the thinking about this as opposed to 
let's just keep reusing the same names over and over again and just whatever the cycle is, change it all out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Shoot, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, this is a huge question. It is. It right. Is. We, I, I know that me alone, I could probably talk about this for a couple of hours. But um, I think to to an aspect of it to a certain extent that some of it might be about security mm-hmm. in terms of it being a business and businesses wanting to make money. And I think it also has to do with them coming coming to them and saying like, well, why don't you do this? Because people know the name. And I'll relate I'll relate comics to music for for just a minute. If you don't want to just listen to the top 40 you have to kind of work at it these days like you need to look to the college radio stations you need to look to the djs that have you know diverse taste and stuff like that you need to go on to the music related websites to don't go to pitchfork they suck but like brooklynvegan.com and stereo gum and things like that but um people no i'm not I'm being very general here, but sometimes people don't want to put in the work to get to know new characters. They want to go with what's familiar because they don't have time to get close and and snuggly and they don't have the attention span that it takes to follow uh, a new character through a few arcs to see if they're worth somebody that you want to treasure and follow into Mm -hmm. other things. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it comes down to the dollar where they say, you know, we want to, you want to make a new, you know, female character. She's going to be this. She's going to be great. She's going to be that. But well, in about six months, we have this event coming up and, you know, it'd be a really great opportunity to just take so-and-so and, you know, they die and we'll switch it up. Um, Laura X 23 being Wolverine mm-hmm. now, you know? And, uh, I mean, that book is killer by it's the really, way. Really, Yeah. Oh, it's so good. This past issue, it's, it's civil again, Civil War tie-in, had two of the best pages that I saw all week with burglars trying to break into their apartment. And it's old Wolverine, X-23, and Gabby, and these guys break in. And she's like, you guys are just like standard burglars, right? And they're like, yeah. And, like, and you broke in here? And they just, <laughs> two pages of them laughing into hysterics. And it's, it's so good. But um, like, I think... Sometimes there's a there's a pressure there's there's something breathing down their neck to make that choice instead of 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 putting it on the line with a new character that might not make the money back that they ask they ask them to default to this idea of making other heroes into newer female heroes. Mm-hmm. I think there's also a misunderstanding of what we mean by a call for diversity in comics. It's not get rid of the white males who are already there it's add more amen and yes and i think the response is well like oh okay so you don't want steve rogers as captain america let's put sam wilson i'm like yeah that's good but why not both which you know they they are now but it's (laughs) we got so yeah which we got eventually but what i'm saying is you know you don't need to replace tony stark with riri williams put riri williams into the marvel universe as her own person if that makes sense we don't want to get rid of the characters we know and love because we we're invested i mean we've been part of 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 their history forever um it seems like so 
I don't know. I, I feel like there is definitely kind of a, well, we did what you asked. I'm like, mm, mm. not not quite. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, there's. Oh, when, you, when you look at you back when they recast the X Men mm-hmm. for giant size X Men number one all those years ago, you still had Cyclops and the other ones were off being captured by a living island. For those who remember, <laughs> Krakow, oh, the living island. I right. Love that book so much. Right. Uh, and so then th- they added an entirely new cast of diverse people mm-hmm. from all over the world, and people embraced them. I mean, it was a long time ago, but people love those characters as much or more than the X-Men who preceded them. So in, in this business model, though, creators don't want to create a character they have to leave behind at some other publisher. Yeah. So I, I think- that's has to get filtered in, too. Go ahead, Joey. Uh, part of the part of the the question too is this idea of like, so let's say you do do these legacy characters and they aren't characters like you're talking about Bob that do stand on their own and and do carry through. You create these legacy characters like, um, uh, I mean Captain Marvel is probably the highest profile one, but Sh- Shuri was the Black Panther for a little while. You know X two three is Wolverine. Monica Rambo was Captain Marvel. Yeah. You know like that happened. Um, what happens, Sam Wilson as as Cap? You know, part of the question is, do they revert back? Are these these white dudes gonna be get that title back? You know, um, and and what does that say about about the diversity question too? And I think there is something to be said though too. Like Monica Rambeau has been bouncing around and as finally getting the kind of attention and elevation that that she deserves. But for a while, you know, she was kind of just out. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think character. I don't know. I I I feel like is Thor Jane Foster Thor spoilers. Um, <laughs> like a year and a half. Is yeah. is, is, is is there going to be a time when she's not Thor anymore? It, can Carol Danvers ever not be kept? I don't think that's possible. You know, but is Kamala Khan going to be Miss Marvel forever? You know, or, or is that just a legacy thing? Or you know, sometimes the story works out. Other times, yeah, it just seems like a, it just seems like we're filling a niche, which is not the right way to go about it. But at what times does a legacy right. change actually make sense and actually carry through and actually hold? Mm-hmm. Um, is interesting to think about too. Yeah, well, I mean, sometimes there are you know great stories that come with the with the change as well. I mean, you just mentioned the Jane Foster Thor that from day one has been an incredible, incredible story. Mm-hmm. You know, very smartly told, very respectfully presented, uh, action-packed, gorgeous, 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 epic book, you know, and... Markedly outselling yeah, the, the yeah. Thor that it replaced. And yeah. I think, you know, when you're, when you're doing something with care and when you're, when you're honoring the legacy of the name and the character while doing your own thing with it, I think that's, that's the best way to, you know, to approach these, these wild changes. When, when, when Aaron leaves, does she stay as Thor? Oh. I don't know, man. I don't think he's going to leave for a while. What, I've, what I'm understanding about Thor is that he's in, I mean, he wants a Simonson kind of run. Like, he's, yeah. he's gonna, he wants to be there. Claremont, 20 years. Yep, that's, that's yeah. the goal. <laughs> Oh, I'm so up for that. Which I'm, I'm, I'm down for as well because you know he's his, his books are good. Yeah, but um, again, that's that was a very loaded question from from a listener. 
um, a lot to think about. And I think, you know, the, the, the digression of the question for, for the listener was like, is it home time yet? Is it what I have for supper? You know, that kind of like just thinking a lot about it. So it's something that's going to be on my mind going forward, especially since we have a new era of, of Marvel again, as well as uh, DC. Marvel, Marvel again. (laughs) Marvel now again. Yeah. Um, Any other, any other things to bring up before we close, you know, we're getting, we're getting close to three hours podcast. (laughs) I just want to do a quick shout out to, to Carolyn Coco for coming out to see the sh- my show this past weekend for making that trip. So she was standing there. like she, she was like, I don't know if I'll be able to stay because I'll have my daughter with me and all of that. But I'll be in my Miss Marvel shirt. And then at, after the show, I'm saying hello to people. And she's like, oh, I'm Carolyn. And I was like, oh, my God. Gave her a big hug. It was such a, a, a wonderful, wonderful treat to see her. So shout out to her for, for doing that. Oh, talking comics, nice. bringing people together. <laughs> also shout out for sharing pictures and video of the show and embarrassing me for all of the talking comics crew Hugh sent me a message and was like Carolyn sent me some video and I'm watching it now and I'm like no we're good in it don't be embarrassed I know don't be embarrassed something you worked hard for so there you go congrats <laughs> All right, so that's that's it for this week's episode of Talking Comics. As always, you can send us comments or questions through our email, podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. Or if you have something shorter or a question or a comment on this episode, um, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Talking Comics. Uh, Steve, where can listeners find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at dead underscore Icarus. And Joey? At Cherry Ruccino. And Bob? Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. And I am on Twitter at Megamaramon. So, for Bob. May the glory of Gaia be with you. <laughs> Steve. Our Lady Peace. <laughs> and Joey. Bye. I'm Mara Wood. Until next time, to be continued. <laughs>